Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. And welcome to week 27 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. We're still attempting to go out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. I'm Craig Fields. And I'm David Long. And coming up on this week's show, we'll be kicking off by taking a look at The Front Runner, starring Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart. We'll also be taking a look at Vice. This is directed by Adam McKay, starring Christian Bell and Amy Adams. And then we'll have a look at The Upside, starring Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Then it'll be time for Beautiful Boys, starring Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell. Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson and James McAvoy, starring Glass, director Um Night Shyamalan, brings us the third film in the Unbreakable trilogy. Can You Ever Forgive Me, stars Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. And there's also Mary Queen of Scots uh, on today's show, starring the fabulous Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie. And finally, we'll be taking a look at Green Book, starring Viggo Mortensen and Maharshal Ali. Maharshala. Maharshala Ali. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is an absolutely packed uh, show, Craig. And as always, uh, as well as our main reviews, we'll be doing our box office rundown, news and cinema at home. So that's uh, week 27 uh, we're now well fed and uh, we're ready just... to to present the show. Craig, Craig has made me dinner. Um, we had garlic bread gate, the world's slowest garlic bread. The packet said twelve minutes. Forty minutes later, it was still not cooked. <laughs> I think forty minutes is a bit of an exaggeration. I don't think it is. I don't know what was in your oven. A couple of candles, I think, because it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the pizza was nice and uh, the hot hot wing as well. But before we get into our main show, uh, we have some statistics uh, that have been brought to us uh, by, who was it by, David? It was by a Chinese herbologist, a statistician, a mathematician, uh, an adventurer, an explorer. <laughs> uh, no, it was one of our listeners who, um, you know who you are, we thank you so much, has prepared an amazing spreadsheet with lots of stats that I don't know, and Craig is going to surprise me with them live on air. Yeah, so this spreadsheet that's been that's been put together... Uh, has every single show that we've done, breakdown of every single film, um, every single yes and no's and, uh, you know, yes but and no buts, mm. uh, which equal these statistics. So, first of all, David, um, how many films do you think you saw in season one of the podcast? 24 episodes, 520. Uh, so, you saw... 107 films. Oh, close. How many do you think I saw? I think you saw 130 then. I saw 125. Oh, 18 more. 18 more, yeah. So it's about, yeah, that makes sense. How many of those films do you think you said, yes, they were worth it? 100% yes. Of of the 107? Of the 107, yeah. 60. 67. Oh, I'm good at this. Yeah. Out of the 125, how many do you think I said yes to? 67. 78. So who's more positive, me or you? I think it's me. Oh. Um, total no's. I said no 37 times. Mm-hmm. Definitely no's. You said no uh, 35 times. Wow. Um, total non-committal ones. So that's obviously yes, if, or no, but. Mm. Um, I said that 10 times. Yep. And you said that five times. 
See, I'm much more precise and to the point. You are yes and more yes and no's, mm. but obviously you saw less films as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but season two, so obviously two shows so far: week twenty-five, week twenty-six. Um, and you've seen how many? Twelve. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah, spot on. And uh, I've seen fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you said yes seven times. So have I. Yeah, there's been quite a lot of no's in season two. Yeah, season two, I've said no three times so far. Yeah. And uh, you said no two times. And you've been non-committal three times, and I've been non-committal four times. Ah, uh, non-committal. Yes. Lots of... These are very interesting stats. We'll, we'll have to publish them in our annual newsletter. <laughs> yeah. We don't have an annual <clears throat> newsletter, but um, when we do, they will, we, they will be in there. The other, other key information, we've got episode length as well. So uh, our longest episode was at two hours and 11 minutes. And this is going to be longer at this rate. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> Shortest episode, 47 minutes, uh, which gives us a mean time of one hour and 16 minutes. That's, that's pretty good as mean times go. And a total listenable hours. Oh, my word. Have a guess at this. It's got to be a lot. Whereas one day, 11 hours, 32 minutes and one second. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and the other things we've got is just breakdowns of special episodes that shows us things that we mentioned, uh, things like my uh, Hugh Grant man crush, yeah. um, things like that. And our uh, year in review where it had our top 10 films on there as well, which is all, all highlighted. Mm. And the amount of tickets we've given away as well, which is around about 40 tickets. Wow. 40 yeah. tickets, 40 times. How much is a cinema ticket? 15 quid. I'm not good at math, but that's a lot of money. It's a lot of dough. It's a lot of free tickets. It is, and if you you can win tickets as well, you you lovely listeners, how can they do that, David? Well, they can do that in a variety of ways, Craig, one of which is emailing us at mymailisworthit at... No, it isn't. Yeah, it is. Mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram... Um, yeah, get in contact with us. We'd love to read your stuff out on the show. Do you want to repeat that email again, Craig? Because yep. I, <laughs> you got... I, I always get it wrong. <laughs> it's my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast dot com. Uh, Twitter handle is at film is worth it, um, and it's pretty much the same for Instagram and mm. Facebook as well. Um, and there's so there's lots of ways of getting in contact with us, um, and you can win yourself those tickets. Mm. Indeed. So, shall we commence with uh, week 27? Yes, that is most definitely enough maths for one episode, but thank you very much to that lovely listener who's prepared that spreadsheet. Uh, I'm going to have a real good look at that after we've stopped recording. But let's kick off the show in our usual way with a very dramatic box office rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of January the 25th to the 27th, 2019. David, kick us off at number 10. Okay, Craig, so we have something a little bit bizarre at number 10. At 10, we have BTS World Tour, Love Yourself in Seoul. Uh, it took 500000 at the weekend, uh, which is its total gross. It's only been out for a week. Uh, it's a, a film um, about a concert um, performed by a South Korean group called BTS uh, at the Olympic Stadium in Seoul. Uh, I must confess, not only have I not seen this, I've not heard of it, and I haven't even seen it advertised. Um, but it does come in at number 10. Um if we can see it, we will. I'm not sure that's going to be possible. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I, d- I don't know where it's being played. If you have seen it, 
let us know what you thought and uh, we'd love to read it out on the show. But that is what comes in at number 10. In at number nine, we have A Dog's Way Home that's taken £700,000 at the weekend. That's, that's also its total gross because it's been also been out for one week. Uh, and we're going to be reviewing that on next week's show on week 28. That's right, Craig. And at number eight, we have The Mule. Uh, Clint Eastwood stars in this and I believe he directs it as well. Uh, it took 700000 at the weekend. That's its total gross. It's been out for one week. Bradley Cooper also stars in this. Uh, and again, we'll be reviewing that in one of our upcoming shows. Definitely week 28, I believe, with that one as well. Uh, in at number seven, we have Dragon Ball Super Broly. So that's taken £900,000 at the weekend. That's, it's gross as well, as it's also only been out for one week. Uh, we have not seen this, and I don't mm. believe we're going to get round to seeing this one, but we do have uh, a comment from one of our listeners on Twitter in regards to that. Uh, I'm just going to bring that up now. So Bo writes, I love Dragon Ball Super Broly. It continues the story on from the anime series and provides some backstory to our heroes and villains and fleshes out some characters who were quite one dimensional. The animation and fight sequences uh, were amazing. Top three Dragon Ball films for me. Um, So have you ever watched Dragon Ball, David? I did as a child. I, I, I will confess now live on air, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Well, it was, <laughs> I mean, for me, it was actually something that I really enjoyed watching um, when I was much younger. Yeah. And uh, Dragon Ball Z was definitely one of the, one of the top things that I... I, I remember you know, that, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, but for some reason, I haven't seen this. And, and I think I've grown out of it a little bit. And, and I know it's showing at Sydney World and Hamill, so if it's still showing, I will go and see it. And Bo seems to absolutely love it. Um, Bo, you've got yourself two tickets to go and see whatever you want at the oh, cinema as well. Congratulations. Um, congratulations. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll carry on with uh, number six, David. So at number six, we have The Favourite that took £900,000 at the weekend. It's grossed £12.6 in total. Uh, it's been in the box office for four weeks. We reviewed it on last week's show. Um, I believe we both said it's worth it. It's a very bizarre film, really held together by some incredible direction Um and some superb acting performances from our three uh, lead females in that in that film. Uh, and just quickly, Craig, I've realised 10, 9, 8 and 7 are all films we haven't seen. That may be the first time we've ever done a box office rundown where the first four films we haven't seen. But the favourite's at six and I thoroughly recommend it. Yes, that's right. And uh, at number five, we have Mary Poppins Returns. It's uh taken £1 million at the weekend. It's grossed £40.6 million overall. It's been in the box office for six weeks and we absolutely love this film. I mean, there's nothing much more we need to comment on it because every time we've done the box office rundown, it's been there. We've talked about it on previous shows um, and all you need to know is that you need to go and see it if you haven't seen it yet. Yes, I would totally agree with that, Craig. And at number four, there's another film you should 100% be seeing. It's Stan and Ollie. And that took £1.1 million at the weekend. It's taken £8.3 million in total. It's been out for three weeks. It's got superb performances uh, from John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. Um, it's nominated for, for a BAFTA for Best uh, Outstanding British Film. Uh, and I'd love to see it win, actually. It's got a, a real hard, t- a real tough order because it's up against the favourite. But this was brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed, and gave us a, a completely different insight to two of the world's uh, most famous well-known comedians. Anton Deck. <laughs> or not and in debt. yeah <laughs> in at number three we have Vice uh, this has taken 1.3 million pounds at the weekend that's its gross total as well it's been out for one week and we're going to be reviewing this on this week's show yes we will and as well as that on this week's show we'll also be reviewing Mary Queen of Scots which comes in at number two uh, that took 1.5 million pounds at the weekend it's grossed 5.3 million in total it's been out for two weeks 
and we will let you know whether it's worth it on today's show. And then at number one... Bum, bum, bum. Num, bum, bum, bum. We have Glass. Uh, that's taken £1.9 million at the weekend. It's grossed £6.8 million in total, and it's been out for two weeks. Uh, we're going to be bringing you this review uh, very soon within this show, uh, and we're looking forward to this one, actually. We are. I, I think it's going to be uh, a feisty one. Oh, indeed it will be. Uh, so, David, in the usual fashion, 10 to 1, please. Okay, so at number 10, we have BTS World Tour, Love Yourself in Seoul, 9, A Dog's Way Home, 8, The Mule, 7, Dragon Ball Super Broly, 6, The Favourite, 5, Mary Poppins Returns, 4, Stan and Ollie, 3, Vice, 2, Mary Queen of Scots, and at the top of the pile, it's Mm, Night Shy Malin with Glass. It's now time for our first review of Week 27, and it's The Front Runner. This is directed by Jason Reitman, who directed Juno, uh, a film that I really, really loved, uh, and more recently, Tully, a film that we both really, really loved as well. Uh, so this film stars Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart, Vera Farmiga as Lee Hart, which is his wife, uh, and J.K. Simmons as Bill Dixon, who is his campaign manager. Uh, so what is the film about? Well, it's about the, a former senator of Colorado who became the frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 1988. Uh, and in three weeks, uh, Gary Hart manages to get himself into a bit of a mess um, as his alleged womanising is brought to the attention to the public by the press. Uh, let's take a little listen to a clip. They can write all this crap all they want. They will not earn the dignity of my response. Jesus, Gary, what about us? Do we deserve a response? About this? Yeah. No. Are you, are you kidding me? I got, I got 100 kids unpacking boxes in Denver right now because we told them you would do what it takes to win this thing. I told them. People are sacrificing for you. And I'm not sacrificing what? Should I sacrifice my privacy, Bill, my self-respect? And it won't just be me that gets dragged down. None of those kids you're talking about will work another campaign or some candidate doesn't have to account for who comes and goes from their bedroom. And that is just the beginning. Okay, okay, but we're not we're not talking about that right now. I right am now. talking no, no, about no. that. We're talking about how you get through today without pissing away everything we've all worked for on this no, campaign. Bill, this campaign is about the future, not rumors, not sleaze, and I care about the sanctity of this process, whether you do or do not. So that clip really does summarise a little bit of what this film is about. Um, the film poses a number of questions uh, that reflect... I think, today's society. And one of those is, is should the press hold those in power accountable for their actions? And yes, they should. Um, and it feels like this film has come a little bit too late in, in trying to get that point across. Um, we know that the press should hold these people in power accountable. Um, we know that people like Donald Trump should be held accountable. And this is clearly what the message of the film is about. Um, however, Donald Trump is obviously, you know, with the fake news, um, trying to downplay um, this this accountability uh, for what he's doing. And this film, yeah, it really did come almost two years too late, I think. Um, we had the post last year that I think really hit the nail on the head with with timing, with with holding people to accountability and, 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 and pushing that point forward. Um, this, 
this feels to me like it has no relevance, no place mm. uh, as as a poignant piece at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you've said there, Craig. And it's interesting, actually, you, you drew a comparison to The Post because Ben Bradley, uh, who is portrayed in this movie by uh, Alfred Molina, was actually portrayed by Tom Hanks in The Post uh, and also Jason Robards in All the President's Men. So he was a very influential journalist. Mm. Um, and like you said, this is a, a film that poses loads of questions. You know, Har- Howard Wilson once said that a week is a long time in politics. Um, and such is the case here. You know, Sarah, Senator Gary Hart goes from president frontrunner to scandal-ridden campaign dropout in literally the the blink of an eye. And this event represented a huge turning point in American politics, in American journalism, uh, and it posed a lot of questions, like you said, about what is the role of the journalist and should politicians be held accountable for their actions? Well, I believe, yes, they should, but at the same time, should journalists be infiltrating people's private lives? Because that's what we see here. We don't see genuine reporting. We see stalking. We see, you know, one particular scene, people hiding in bushes, camping outside people's houses. You know, public office, yes. But does that give the media the right, you know, think of the phone hacking scandals we had in this country. So like you said, it, it, it poses a lot of questions. But in some ways, it does almost um, pose them a little bit too late. It does. The, the funny thing about this story is that actually Gary Hart told the press, come and come and see what I'm like on my own mm. on the weekends. Um, I have nothing to hide. But the truth was that he did have something to hide, but didn't really care because this was the norm back in the day, mm. back in that time. I mean, it, I mean, it's only the 1980s, but I mean, there's a, there's a, a, a meeting that some of the press guys have at one point and they say, you know, we knew about these pro- previous presidents doing the, these things. Um, and and we, I mean, we how we joined in almost like yeah. they knew all about it. Um, but it was part of the way that it worked that you don't reveal that you don't press on their personal life in that way um the tagline for this film the slogan for this film on the posters was gary hart was going to be president instead he changed american politics forever and i really don't agree with that Mm. i don't think it was gary hart that changed american politics forever i think it's the role that the media played in changing uh, American politics. I think it's the role that the um, uh, the American public had in wanting to know that these people are legitimate and 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 holding these people to accountability. And I, I, I so I, I feel that that poster is somewhat misleading into trying to get you in to see a film where a man has somehow changed American politics for mm. the better for doing something good and he hasn't done something he's good done at all. Something bad, he's done yeah. something very very well um, not very well it is it's bad it's very very bad but it's um in, in in today's standards it's it's I mean it's frowned upon but it's yeah. it's sort of overlooked a little bit in some respects. It, it it's very interesting. I mean what I do like about the film is that I think it's balanced. It doesn't preach. So it, it gives us the life of the politician and it also gives us the life of the journalist and then it basically says to the to the viewer who's right is is the politician in the right or are the journalists in the right? And and basically Hugh Jackman's character um heart is is a, a womanizer and I'm doing the little uh, you know finger quotation quotations, quotations. Yeah. <laughs> um and you know he he's obviously married and he's he's doing things outside of his marriage which he shouldn't be now that is wrong you know everyone knows that is wrong the question is does making you a politician make it worse and that's the question it poses you know people cheat on their husbands and wives all the time doesn't make it right but being 
in office, does it make it worse? Well, yes, in my opinion, it does, because it's public office. You know, you don't go into politics for the money. You don't go into politics because it's easy. You mm. go into politics because you want to implement change. And that comes with a sacrifice. You know that the, the world's eyes are going to be on you. Um, but like you said as well, in, in many ways, the film's too late. And the, the poster bigs it up, the man that changed politics. It tries to create this huge scandal, which actually, unfortunately, in the modern day, isn't that much of a scandal anyway. I'm not justifying people who um, cheat in their, in their marriages. I'm just saying, that unfortunately, it's, it's more common. And it tries to make it this huge political drama, when actually, let's think about what happened subsequently. So, 90s, you've got Bill Clinton and uh, Monica Lewinsky and what happened there. Mm. Followed by that, you've then got George Bush, eight years of George Bush, one of the most hated American presidents ever. Then you've got radical change uh, in, in Barack Obama, again, a, a huge moment for American politics. And then you go to Donald Trump. So, since since this, we've had the Clinton scandal, we've then had George Bush, we've had the uh, incredible Barack Obama, and then, you know, Donald Trump come in. American politics has got more and more mad, and this actually seems pretty boring in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty solid film in terms of the way it's made, in terms of the storytelling, in terms of the pace, and the acting is is really great, but it just lacks a point. Mm. It doesn't drive it home enough for me. Um, There were actually some great moments with the women within the film, but, you know, they really pushed forward this stance that reflects the Me Too movement and and a few other um, uh, movements as well. Um, But it just remains to be a very male-dominated film Mm. and, and doesn't really give that sort of segment or those moments a chance to really breathe and really let you take that in and 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 for me that's quite a, that's a bit of a disappointment actually yeah it is um i mean there's loads of films about politicians male politicians focusing on them i've always wanted to see a film really focusing on the wife you know almost like the the glenn close film but mm. of a politician's wife the, the women in this film were they weren't given the opportunity that the men were. I thought the film moved at a very satisfying and engaging pace, but it was the same pace throughout. Mm. Now, the reason I found it satisfying and engaging is because I did a politics degree. I love politics. I love gritty, heavy dramas. I actually thought Hugh Jackman was very good um, in this film. I think he's a very good actor in general, but I think he was well cast. I think he brought a, a balance to the role where he was acting like a fool, but showed that he knew he was acting like a fool. Um, Gary Hart actually invited Hugh Jackman to stay at his home. Uh, I didn't know if you really? knew, if no, you, I didn't you know knew that. that. Um, so they could get to know each other. Um, and apparently they got on quite well. And um, Mrs. Hart was having a hip operation at the time, so she couldn't get upstairs. So they both stayed downstairs. So Hugh Jackman actually slept in Gary Hart's double bed, got to know the family. And I think that's reflected in his performance. If you look at clips of Gary Hart, Hugh Jackman does a... Um, a very good uh, portrayal. The last thing I'll say is I think, you know, you know I love my Rotten Tomatoes statistics. 59% of the critics like it, 51% of the audience like it, and I think that's just about spot on, really. Mm. So it gets it gets a 59% critical reception and a 51% audience reception, which is about right, you know, because critically it's, it's, it's pretty solid, and for an audience it, there's there's stuff there, but it's not, it's it's no more than that. It's yeah. a very average film. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, interesting fact as well. Uh, the film was made uh, with only technology that was available in the 1980s, which I thought was very interesting for, for Jason Reitman to take that approach mm. with the film. Um, actually quite a nice approach. Um, 
it's just not one of Jason Reitman's best films. And I think no. Tully is was superb. S- sensational. Um, Juno as well. And Juno, I love Juno. I absolutely yeah. love that film. Um, it's just a shame that this one wasn't a right, the right film for him to go, especially for p- politics or a, politi- mm. a political film or trying to drive a message home in that way. It just didn't really work for me. Um, I'm going to ask you the question, David. The front runner. Is it worth it? Um, I'm going to say yes. Uh, for me, I, I do think it's a film worth seeing. I think it's got a very interesting message. I think it poses a lot of questions. The problem is it doesn't really give us many answers. Um, it's worth it for me because I love politics and I love this kind of film. For the average film goer, um, if you want to see a political film, there is possibly another one that might be more appropriate for mm. you. And we will be reviewing that next. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, you, Craig? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say no, this is not worth it for me. For someone who who likes a very gritty, engaging political thriller of some sort, this wasn't the one for me at all. Um, and there are plenty more of these sort of films around that will actually do a better job at, at getting messages across and engaging you on a much better level and I I don't think this is worth going to the cinema to see at all thank you It's now time for our second review, and this one is Vice. So what is this film about? Well, it's a political biopic that follows Dick Cheney on his rise to becoming one of the most notorious vice presidents ever. Uh, The film boldly states that... uh, that there's not much information about Cheney's rise to power. Um, So therefore, we are given this unreliable narrator to tell us the story, Um, which is a very good twist with this narrator, I thought. Mm. Uh, Anyway, so good old Dick ends up manipulating George W. Bush Jr. into giving the vice president more power uh, than any vice president has ever had. Let's take a listen to this clip. I want you to be my VP. You're the solution to my problem. Um, CEO of a large company. I have been uh, Secretary of Defense. I have been in Chief of Staff. Uh, the Vice Presidency is mostly a uh, symbolic job. Right, right. I can see how that wouldn't be uh, enticing to you. However, the Vice Presidency is also defined by the President. If we were to come to a uh, different understanding. Uh huh. Go on. I'm listening. I sense that uh, you're a kinetic leader. You make decisions based on instinct. I am. Mm. People always said that. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Very different from uh, from your father in that regard. Now. Maybe I can uh, handle some of the more mundane jobs, overseeing uh, bureaucracy, managing military, uh, energy, uh, foreign policy. That sounds good. Uh, we both really love that clip because we like doing the impressions of, of Dick Cheney throughout the, uh, the, the the clip whilst we were listening to it. Mm, great fun. Um, 
good fun. Probably post that on social media. Actually. We will. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but it, it's no surprise to me that this film is up for a number of awards at the Oscars. It's, it's eight awards. We've got best achievement in makeup and hairstyling, best performance by an actress in a supporting role for Amy Adams, best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Sam Rockwell, best performance by an actor in a leading role for Christian Bale, best motion picture of the year, best achievement in directing for Adam McKay, best original screenplay for Adam McKay as well and Best Achievement in Film Editing for Hank Corwin. Uh, a, a number of awards at the Oscars, um, and mostly all of them, I'd say, are, 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 worth, for, are worthy for the film. Um, David, I want to get your opinion on the film first before I talk about it a little bit. So uh, I actually do disagree with you, Craig, in uh, one of those nominations. So uh, I'll come on to that in a second. But I totally agree with the uh, the acting nominations for Sam Rockwell, Amy Adams and Christian Bale. They're all brilliant in this film. Uh, I think it's it's worthy of a Best Picture nomination as well. But I am surprised that um, McKay got a, a Best Director nomination and Bradley Cooper didn't. Um, and it, it would appear, actually, looking at the list, that it was McKay that really got that last spot above Cooper. And I think that's wrong because um, this is a great film with great performances and a great script. Mm. Um, but there are problems with it. And I think some of the problems do lie with the director. Um, where do you start with a film like this? Well, you've got to start with the main man, Dick Cheney. Christian Bale is superb in this film. You know, everyone will be talking about his physical transformation, rightly so. He put on £45 uh, to play Dick Cheney, but we know Christian Bale can do this. He got absolutely shredded to play uh, Batman in Batman Begins. He's lost a lot of weight um, where he's played some uh, really quite unwell characters, including drug addicts. And then he's obviously put on a huge amount of weight here. Uh, apparently he did it, Craig, by eating a lot of pies. Um, <laughs> that was that was his method. And best doing, way of doing it. And really. also doing vigorous neck exercises so he could get a thick neck like Dick Cheney. Um, yeah, so obviously people will talk about that. And then the hair and makeup, again, incredible. He, he literally does not only become Dick Cheney, he ages as Dick Cheney. So we've got a young Dick Cheney and then it becomes older and then we've got the Dick Cheney that we know, the sort of grey, well, actually white hair. And and Bale is sensational and you say a lot about the makeup and, and that kind of stuff. That is important, but it's his physicality and particularly his, his voice and the subtle... Um, facial expressions and the mannerisms he has. Yes. Obviously, I did a politics degree. I know a lot about Dick Cheney. I've unfortunately listened to him quite a bit, seen a lot of him on television, and and Bale gets this spot on. Sam Rockwell is also also brilliant as uh, George W. Bush, uh, and Amy Adams actually for Best Supporting Actress is really really good as Mrs. Cheney. If you actually look at the small amount of footage and stuff you can get of her. He, he, she, sorry, gets that spot on. But in terms of the film, so there's, there's moments of brilliant humor. There's moments of real political interest. Um, but it's too preachy for me. It's, it's too political. It's, it's very heavy. It's almost dictatorial. It's borderline aggressive. So this is almost the complete opposite of, yeah. of the front one of the front runner. Sorry. Um, you know, in terms of one being not enough preachy, not pushing yeah. it too much. This one you're saying is pushing mm. it far too far. Um, in, in what terms do you think it's pushing it that way? What direction? Well, the, the director McKay clearly doesn't like Cheney 
on a personal level and he doesn't he hates his politics um but you know it's it's very much like we know Cheney's the bad guy. We we know mm. that from the film and the way the film... I mean, one of the opening clips is of Dick Cheney getting drunk and then getting uh, done for drunk driving. So immediately it's like, Dick Cheney's a bad person. We're going to show you that by bringing up a drunk driving conviction he had 40-odd years ago. Um, and, and then we're going to start the film with him in, in a real mess and struggling with alcoholism and, and stuff like that. Um, so we know that he doesn't like Dick Cheney, but then it just, it's very preachy, Craig. It's, he's got a real left-wing agenda and it's like, you know, if, if you like George Bush, you're an idiot. If you like Dick Cheney, you're an idiot. These were bad men and I'm going to, I'm going to keep telling you they're bad men. Whereas actually he doesn't have to do that. He has some, you know, true and alarming statistics about Iraqi civilian deaths uh, during the Iraq war, the number of American troops that were lost, um, great st- statistics and touches are, are massively upon why America went into Iraq, which was really all about oil. Um, if you look at the amount of money, and Dick Cheney happened to be, happened to be uh, a CEO of a large oil firm. You know, so everything's there. It's just like, he knows he's got an opportunity here and he almost gets too excited and hits the audience too hard. And I just think it could have been a bit more subtle. Yeah. So from my point of view, then I, I'm not clued up as much as you are with, with the politics in America. Um, I'm, I'm very honest and say I'm not clued up with the politics in the UK either. Um, to, to some extent, I think I'm a, a, a pretty clever guy in some respects, so I can understand a lot of it. Um, and I think you're correct in saying that this is very left wing in terms of pushing it, his, his, not his agenda, but his personal preference in terms of what he views these people to be like and really pushes it to the extreme um, and really showcasing these people to be proper evil mm. and proper stupid as well. Mm. George W. Bush is portrayed, or George W. Bush Jr. is portrayed to be a very stupid man. Mm. Um, and, and, and rightly so in some respects, if, if what he's saying is somewhat true, you know, the mm. amount of power that he gave over to Dick Cheney. And I mean, even that in that clip, it really does show you, mm. you know, you know how much he was saying. You know the vice presidency was uh, a symbolic job. Um, if you give me the um, ability to do this, that, and the other, maybe we can come to an agreement. And yeah. George Bush is like, "Yeah, great. Why well, not?" Th- that clip, Craig, is amazing because you know Cheney's talking about the. I- I'll handle the small tasks. Energy, he says, um, bureaucracy, and then he slips in military and foreign foreign policy. So it's like, you know, bureaucracy, energy, military, foreign policy. Those are huge things, huge, huge things. And the interesting thing about Dick Cheney as a real person as well, he he was never more than five feet away from his lawyer. Like this, this was a politician that wanted to look at the Constitution, look at everything that was written in law about how much power the president has, the executive office um, they touch upon, how much power the president has and what actual role does the VP have? Because, you know, if I said who was the president in this year, people would say, oh, yeah, it was George Bush or Barack Obama. Who was the vice president? (laughs) Over most people's heads. They don't know. But Dick Cheney was this VP that was almost running the show. Um, And he's always, and the film's brilliant in showing that he was one of those people that wasn't stupid. So he wanted to get as much, he wanted to milk the cow as much as possible. And he did it in, in like the most borderline illegal way possible. And it's the same with the war in Iraq. You know, he wanted, the Americans wanted Iraq for a number of reasons. One of them was oil and they needed a reason to go in. We now know there weren't weapons of mass destruction. We now know that it was a massive, um, 
deceit, really, playing out, well, just lies mm. from the American and the British governments. I still think, and we won't go into the politics, that the war in Iraq was necessary. The way they handled coming out of Iraq was a shambles, but that's a completely different podcast. Um, but it... <laughs> You know, there's lots. There's lots here. It's just like a bit like me now. It's I'm, I'm trying to get as much in as I can on this review. I just feel like there could have been a bit more subtlety. Uh, and the other problem the film has, it does try to have a serious message. And if you've got a, f- a film that at times has a real farcical sense to it, d- do those messages still hit home? Well, some people might say yes. When you get the statistics about civilian deaths, about um, Iraqi, uh, you know, um, innocent Iraqis that died and uh, U.S. Um, soldiers, the amount of U.S. soldiers that lost their life. That That's quite powerful when you uh, contrast that to the, some of the comedic elements. Um, I'm actually seeing this film again tomorrow uh, with my dad and I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. And I might touch upon it again in a later episode, but this is a film that has so much stuff in it. Mm. And it's 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 definitely a Best Picture nomination, but not a Best Director for me because it it's too preachy and it's it's not balanced enough yeah so i I like what you're saying with the comedic element and then and then hitting home with the with the raw facts um adam mckay is usually quite good at getting um the the satire right in his films and i think he did it very well in the big short um but with vice i think you're right i don't think it hit home well enough um in terms of the there was a scene where dick cheney and his wife are in bed and instead of talking in normal verse or normal speech they actually talk in verse in Shakespearean verse Um, and I really enjoyed that part Mm. but it didn't hit home just how you know um, what he was planning in in a sense and I think it would have gone over a lot of other people's heads Mm. as well just how dramatic that scene or a turning point of the film that that part was going to be playing and because he goes into this verse it didn't really didn't hit home hard enough it you know it could have been just a very simple speech Mm. that was turned into this very satire piece and 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 unfortunately for me it it worked humorously yeah it didn't work driving home the point it was trying to make and i think it it, it, there's there's lots of elements with that throughout most of the film Mm. um another point that i liked but didn't like as well was the unreliable narrator. So I like the fact that the narrator is unreliable because it clearly shows that Adam McKay doesn't have all the facts here completely. And, and, but then he's sort of backtracking them by doing that, by saying at the beginning of the film that we don't really know all these things. Um, So he's obviously throwing in a lot of embellishments there. Um, So does that make it good? Does that make it, does that make it, a worthy film to drive these points home. And I think you've hit the nail on the head here. And I think, I think I'm going to ask you the question now. Well, not quite yet. Oh, you've got more points. Well, no, last thing you talked about the, the Shakespearean scene is, is, is brilliant because it's, it's showing how dramatic and theatrical this all was. And the fact that nobody noticed, that's the thing. Nobody realized that Dick Cheney was fundamentally running the white house and doing pretty dangerous things. And it just all went under the radar. It's funny you should say that because Adam McKay actually filmed a musical number for this film. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Um, So I don't know the details, but Dick Cheney and a number of others were singing uh, and they decided to cut it because 
they believed it was very, very funny, but they actually thought it was that one step too far. And I think that's why Best Picture, definitely, but Best Director, not for me. And I think that's reflected in the critic scores as well. I mean, 66% of critics like this on Rotten Tomatoes, 55% of the audience. Um, that's quite low for a, for a Best Picture nomination, uh, let alone a Best Director. But, Craig, uh, I could talk about this for many, many months. I'm in my element, but you can ask me the question. I can ask you now, yeah? Oh, sure. yeah. Yes, okay. please. Vice, David, is it worth it? Yes, uh, I think this is this is worth it for a number of reasons. Firstly, the acting is phenomenal. Secondly, it's great fun. Uh, and thirdly, it, it's a really important story. And it will also give you an insight into how buckled the American political system is, how backwards it is in many, in many ways, and how almost unbelievable this this character was. It's, it's almost so ridiculous that... It, it, it's hard to believe it's true, but it is true. Um, and uh, Christian Baylor is um, Golden Globe speech said, uh, I feel slightly guilty for picking up this award for best comedy because really this film's a tragedy. Uh, and then he also thanked Satan for inspiring him to play Dick <laughs> Cheney. So that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. This film yeah. is definitely worth it. Not everyone's cup of tea, but one that I would thoroughly recommend seeing. Yeah, I for the points you've just raised, yes, this film is definitely worth it. I will completely agree with that. I I think Adam McKay is a great director, but yes, I think you're right as well. Should he be up there for for best director for the Oscars? No, I think you're right. Bradley Cooper has been snubbed and that he's taken his place. Um but yeah, I, this is definitely worth going to see in the cinema 100%. And also, when you do see it in the cinema, please send us your Dick Cheney impressions because they are great fun to do. Go on, <laughs> let's hear yours quickly. The uh, vice president is a mostly. Uh, Two thousand and nineteen has begun, and gym membership is booming. But why not put your money towards something you will actually use? For just seventeen pound ninety a month, you can get unlimited cinema anytime, any day. And the new year is the perfect time to become unlimited with films like Toy Story Four, Dumbo, The Lion King, Avengers: Endgame, Glass, Captain Marvel, and X Men: Dark Phoenix. Two thousand and nineteen is set to be a year of unmissable cinema. And you can get £10 off your first month's Cineworld Unlimited subscription using the code ISITWORTHIT, and that's all one word. As well as this, you can also get 10% off snacks and drinks, preview screenings of upcoming releases, and unlimited customers can now enjoy 25% off food and drink at Yo Sushi, Cafe Rouge, Bella Italia, La Iguana, La Tasca, and Belgo. Is It Worth It encourages an unlimited membership as part of a healthy and balanced lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. So it's now time for our next review on week 27, and it's The Upside. So this is a remake of a very good French film called The Intouchable, or otherwise known as Untouchable. And it was a very popular French film, which had a really great cast. Uh, one of them being Francois Closet and Omar Sy, uh, big French actors in the world of, of French films. Um, so what is this film about? Well, it's about a wealthy quadriplegic who needs a caretaker to help him with his day-to-day -day routine. And he ends up finding the most unlikely candidate in the most unlikely way. Uh, let's take a listen to a clip. Each arm, full range of motion. Always both sides. Any questions? Yeah. Have you thought about how you're going to tell your boyfriend you met someone else? I'll show you how to get Mr. Lacoste ready for the day. If you're not too busy. No, me and Mags got this. 
get to show him my sensitive side. It's best viewed unclothed and from behind. So as you can hear in this version of the uh, Intouchable, or in this one, The Upside, we have Brian Craston, who plays the uh, wealthy quadriplegic, and then we have his caretaker, uh, who ends up being Kevin Hart. Um, now, with this film, it was uh, a complete rip-off of the French film, uh, almost scene for scene, um, which you know, was very disconcerting when I watched The uh, Intouchable after seeing The Upside. So I saw it the other way round, really, to how most people have seen it. And it was a bit of an off-put, to be honest with you, because the upside was very humorous, I thought, when, when I went to go and see it. Uh, and the comedy timing, I thought, was was very good. But because I'd seen, then moved on to The Intouchable, um, it felt like they basically had ripped off every single joke. So I knew what was happen- happening in The Intouchable. So Essentially, The Intouchable is a much better film because every it was just the fact that I knew that everything uh, where everything was going to happen. So the opening scene to to the upside is um, them driving in a car, uh, driving really really fast in a sports car, um, and it's the the opening scene is exactly the same to the French film. And bizarrely, it's literally every single shot, shot for shot, mm. is exactly the same. And uh, it it was. Really bizarre, really bizarre that they've done that. Um, essentially, what they've done with this Hollywood remake is try to improve the French version, where the French version, in my opinion, was slightly not quite so right. So what was different? Well, we've got um, the quadriplegic Brian Craston has, uh, doesn't have any children in this film, whereas in the French version, he does. Um, in the French version, you don't actually get any insight into that child whatsoever. So in 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 the in the Hollywood version, Kevin Hart's character has the child, and you try and build an emotional connection with 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 that child and Kevin Hart's character in that way. But Kevin Hart's character is not endearing in any way, shape, or form. I I felt in this film, mm. um, Omar Sy did a much better job playing this character, and it's supposed to be based on a true story, but. Getting the French version, I feel like that is closer to the true story than we got in the Hollywood version. In the Hollywood version, it's New York. It's very out there um, and, and and very disappointing. I'm just going to say that straight away. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it, it was disappointing. I mean, you, you spoke a lot about the French film there. It's actually the most successful French film in history in, mm. the, Germany, in the Germany. Blimey, in Germany and the Netherlands. Um I haven't seen the original, but I need to. Approaching this from a one-off film, you know, let's pretend I didn't know it was a remake. What did I think of it? Well, it's it's, it's a wonderful story. There is no doubt that in terms of um, source material, it, it's fantastic. There's, there's plenty of laughs in it, and there's plenty of emotionally moving scenes uh, as well. Kevin Hart. Now, I'm a big fan of Kevin Hart. I like a lot of his stand-up. But I have spoken on this podcast before about how I feel he is and he's being quite open about the fact that he is taking as many films as possible to get as much money in the bank as possible whilst he's a big name. And this almost feels like, well, we've got this remake of a French film. Let's get a big name on the poster to to, to get people into cinemas. And, And that's really what they've done here. And I'm not saying Kevin Hart was bad. I actually thought he was quite good, but he felt miscast. Yes. Um... So he 
what he did, he did well. Not only the comedy, some of the more serious stuff. He actually performs very well. But the problem is he shouldn't have been playing that role in the first place. It wasn't a Kevin Hart role. Um, what do I mean by that? I, I, it's hard to explain. But if you've seen this film, there's something not quite right about it. And that's not saying Kevin Hart's bad in it, because he isn't. Um, another problem, it was very cliched and uh, very predictable. And as well as that, it also opened lots of doors it explored lots of different themes and it was almost like a tick box like tick we've done this tick we've done that mm. but then it doesn't expand on them so we've got kevin hart's character which we could have had more about we've got our main uh, character and we want to know more about his past and re- relationships that open and one of his le- um leading assistants who's played by nicole kidman nicole kidman yeah. who's also brilliant and we want to know a, mi- a bit more about her so we're sort of fed lots of little almost like aperitifs appetizers but we never actually get a main course it's like lots it's like a snacky yeah. film it's like mm, lovely snacks all the way through but actually there's you're not getting filled up um you've just got lots of lots of little bits of food whereas no actual main course and I feel that's where the French film went slightly wrong as well because they did pretty much the same thing there but in fact actually they overstuffed it a little bit um, so there's so much more to Del Scott's uh, Del Scott who is Kevin Hart's character uh, Omar Sy plays a version of him who there's there's so much more background to that character and in fact it's probably far too much that it was actually a little bit confusing for me to get to grips mm. as to who's who who's child where this child's come from where this um, uh, auntie's come from where he's come from mm. and it just seemed a little bit over the top where Kevin Hart they tried to simplify it and then didn't explore it enough yeah. um, Brian Craston played Philip uh, Lacasse uh, I believe that's his name and he just seemed to lack any any uh, the substance, the substance that they had in the French film, mm. he lacked in this film then. And then Nicole Kidman, who played Yvonne, who was, yeah, as you say, the assistant, there was actually two characters in the French film and they combined that into the one role with Nicole Kidman's and uh, and then also added a little bit of a love interest there as well. Mm. And yeah, it just seemed like they tried to fix things, slight problems that with the French film um, and didn't quite hit it off the mark and then try to cast it in a way that didn't even didn't work either. I mean, there's been a lot of challenges to uh, to Brian Craston, why he was playing this role. Why didn't they cast a real quadriplegic in the role? And I can't shine any light on that. Brian mm. Craston has tried to defend the fact that he's he's played that role. And, you know, it, unless they've actually mm. auditioned someone who is an actor who is a quadriplegic for that role and felt that, yeah, you're right for the role, then fine. Um, and Or they did, and they also can't, tried to, audition Brian Craston for the role and they thought actually Brian Craston's playing this role better I mean is that appropriate is that I, I don't know any, anymore to be honest with yeah, you yeah I mean that's a really tough one I, I mean I wasn't going to mention it on the podcast but I had seen on social media again people saying you know if if um, people with disabilities are ever going to get a role how, in, in, in major film how can they not get a role where the, the condition they have is actually on the big screen and that's a, a whole can of worms there that I don't really want to go into but it's certainly something of interest and it's certainly something that people have been talking about online I mean Colin Firth was another person that was uh, potentially going to play this lead role uh, and like I said I think Brian Cranston does a, a pretty solid job uh, totally agree with what you said about how the film feels confused the direction feels very confused and what I think the the director's tried to do here is he's he knows he's got a wonderful story he then knows he's got Kevin Hart and he's basically said, I want to make a crowd pleaser. And that's what this film does. And amazing statistics on Rotten Tomatoes, Craig. Mind-blowing. Let's hear. 
Critics, 39%. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much spot on. Audience, 87%. Wow. Uh, and a lot of people I know who have seen this say they absolutely love it. And they love it because it's made to, it's like a tick box. It's made to, to make you feel good. And the problem is when people like ourselves have seen a lot of films or critics have seen a lot of films, it feels far too predictable. It feels far too structured. It feels far too cliched. The average film goer who doesn't see a lot of films or the, 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 French film either, probably. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it hits the right notes. And, you know, I think that th- that's exactly what this film is. It's 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 a crowd pleaser. It's a film that a lot of people love, but f- fundamentally it's quite flawed in the way it's made and the way it's directed. So, Craig, the all-important question. The upside, is it worth it? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because I think... Audiences need to see the intuitable first or intuitable um, and then make a decision what they think of this film. And before going to see this in the cinema, um, is it worth going in to see in the cinema? No, I don't think it is. See it on streaming services when it comes out on there. What did you think? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say the upside is worth seeing in the cinema um, simply because I think people will enjoy it. I think if you go and see this film, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, like I've said, There are many things wrong with it, but audiences like it. It's got a score of 87% for a reason, so it's a film that I would recommend seeing in the cinema. So it's now time for our next review, and we will be looking at A Beautiful Boy. Now, A Beautiful Boy is based on the separate memoirs of Nick Sheff and his father, David Sheff. Um, The film follows Timothy Chalamet and Steve Carell as Nick battles drug addiction and the family try to help him overcome this disease. And the film is as much a focus on the effect of addiction on a single person, but also as a whole family unit. Um, Let's take a little listen to a clip before we jump into our review. Yeah, I've seen a few hundred bucks. Why don't we just have lunch and talk? We can do that, right? Mm. Hmm. How, how's Karen and, uh, and the kids? Okay. They ask about you. Is there a step up next week? And I know they'd love you. Okay, you're, uh, you're guilt tripping me, all right? No, I'm just I saying. I feel horrible they... about myself. I know they wanted you to be there, that's all. I'm sorry, Dad. Um, I just need some money, all right? So please just give me and- some Money. Where does this end? This is, I gotta see this one through. This is kind of working out for me right now. I got five days sober. It doesn't look like it's working yeah. out, Nick. Oh, it doesn't look like it's working out? So what, no. the therapy, huh? You can come home. No, that would Make it work, please, Nick. Please. I've been doing some research. You've been doing fucking research? You gotta no. be kidding me, Dad. You think that you have this under control. Mm-hmm. And I understand how scared you are. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different, all right? I'm attracted to craziness, and you're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. So, uh, that is a fantastic clip from, I'm going to, 
go straight into it and say what I think is a phenomenal film. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought Timothy Charlemagne was sensational in this film. Um, and it was a real tragedy, actually, that he didn't get nominated for an Academy Award. He was one of the favourites to to win an Academy Award for Best Supporting uh, Actor, and he, he ended up not even being nominated, which is a real shame. Um, he put a lot of effort into this role, uh, losing £25 uh, pounds to actually play this character, and he, he himself really does look unwell, and that reflects the, the character he's, he's playing, this beautiful boy that's life has been quite quickly and you know maliciously ripped and torn apart by the disease of addiction and you know what I liked about this was it was so honest and true to the reality of addiction um but there are downfalls to that one it doesn't make the film easy to watch and two it doesn't make the film particularly enjoyable to watch from a viewer's perspective that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it because I did because I thought it was brilliantly acted a great script really honest to its subject matter. But for some people, it's actually too good. It's too raw that it will just be too much. I remember coming out of the cinema and hearing people go, oh, that was amazing, but it was a bit heavy. You know, it's not necessarily the kind of film that everyone is going to want to see. I mean, it's got a very irregular flow. Uh, I don't know if you thought that, Craig. And at times it's hard to work out what exact time period they're in. It jumps forward and back. And I had a little think about this. So it doesn't, you know, follow a linear flow. It's very erratic. And I think that's the point. It's very sporadic and all over the place because that reflects his life, the life of an addict, which is completely all over the place. Yeah. And I think it's it's true to say that in the sense that it it took the source material from two different memoirs. So it's going to be jumping about in some respect. And it's it's almost strange to me that Timothy Chalamet is up for a supporting actor's award for the BAFTAs and a few other places that I felt like he was more the leading actor or could have been more the leading actor. But it actually took Steve Carell's character, uh, David Chef, ended up being the the leading actor in this because it it, it almost came more from his point of view um, and I kind of wanted it to be more from from Timothy, Timothy Charlemagne's point of view from Nick Chef's point of view um it, but it you didn't quite get that um I, I obviously from somebody who hasn't ever suffered with anything like this before touch wood um you know it's it's difficult for me to compare my life to to what I'm seeing on screen and I can't I I can't get the same emotions and feel the same emotions for for Nick Chef in that respect. All I can do is say yes, I feel like this is realistic. Mm. But I can still I can see from the father's point of view and I can I can feel the pathos with him and I can I can compare my emotions to how I would feel in his shoes uh. more so than I can with 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 Nick Chef's point of view. And I can see then by laying out those thoughts, I can now see why that supporting actor award goes to Timothy Chalamet in that in that respect, and I've sort of almost just sort of turned it around there by even just questioning it myself and yeah. then answering it myself. But it it was confusing at the time because I came out of there thinking, why has it gone in this direction? And then having to research it and having to find out about the memoirs and all of that sort of stuff, it does answer a lot of questions. Um, but nonetheless, this is a, it is a great film. It really, really is. And you know, I I went to Cineworld Watford to see this one in their in on their brand new screen and. 
it it was an enjoyable experience mm. in their cinema and um, I was sat next to a young girl. I don't know who she was, don't know um, anything about her, but she seemed to be really enjoying it and she cried a lot of the times throughout the film and there was a lot of heavy emotional parts throughout the film and it did, it hit me at the same points as it hit her and I think there was a lot of other people in the screen as well that it hit home to as well. So yeah, it it, it was poignant, it pressed the points that it needed to press um, and it's a, it's a it's a worthy film for sure. And Steve Carell? And Steve Carell, yeah. I mean, there were points in the film that I liked him in and then there were points where I didn't like him in and the points where I didn't like him in where he got very shouty Mm. and I didn't get him. I didn't get his character. I got somebody else's character through and it felt like it was somebody from The Office. Um, It felt like it was going to, it was going to burst into some sort of comedy routine Mm. after, after the shouting part. (laughs) The thing is, so I know what you're saying there, and I, I remember talking to you off air about this, you saying you weren't you know, convinced with Steve Carell. I think you've missed the point. I actually think Steve Carell is brilliant in this because his character is broken, lost, confused, erratic, almost comical, and that's the point. Like He is seeing his son killing himself with drug addiction. He he literally would do anything and everything for him and there is nothing he can do. He's completely helpless and I think that almost comical shouting that he does, that strange behaviour, that sort of almost clown-like behaviour that he shows at times is very typical of people who are watching a loved one go through addiction. You know, you're basically watching a loved one kill themselves in front of you and I think Carell captures that perfectly there's no cliches in this film there's no stereotypes you know when it comes to drug addiction and alcohol addiction it's very easy to box people into certain categories you know he he's, he's a well-educated lad he comes from a, a middle-class american family and he's and he's got this disease of, of addiction and i just thought it was a, a sensational film um i really really enjoyed it uh it was it was very hard hitting and um for me, uh, definitely worth it. <laughs> but you can ask me the question. Okay. A beautiful boy or beautiful boy, is it worth it? Yes, uh, I think it's great. Uh, I really, really recommend seeing this film. And for you, Craig? Yeah, yeah, definitely go and see it. It's, it's, it's worthwhile, it's poignant, it's worth the money to go and see it if you've got an unlimited card. Go and see it more than once. Um, I think you'll find uh, lots of uh, things in there that you probably missed the first time and you'll end up seeing these things again the second time around. Um, yeah, definitely worth it. I didn't mean to uh, press play there or start recording there without you realising that the... Blow my bloody ears off! I mean, it's the, the best sort of introduction you could possibly have to the news. so loud. I'm sorry. So I did just belt out <laughs> the news uh, theme tune into David's ears, and I, I do apologise about that. But that does mean it is time for the news. And on this week's show, I'm going to be taking a look at Johnny Flynn to be playing David Bowie in a Stardust film, or the film is entitled Stardust. Um, so I'm a very big fan of... of uh, of, of David Bowie and when he died in 2016 I was I was actually genuinely very very upset and um, 
I'm very pleased that they're going to be making the film. Johnny Flynn is actually a fantastic actor. He was in Beast uh, most recently, which is available on um, streaming services, I believe, uh, at the moment. So if you want to check out his performance and his ability, then uh, check out Beast. Um, and it's uh, anyway it's slated to be uh, coming out in 2020. Uh, the cameras are rolling in June, and I'm actually very excited for it. Indeed, uh, and I'm bringing you two pieces of news that fall under one umbrella, and guess what, Craig, they're Oscar-themed. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Um, today, 1st of February, it was announced that Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper will be performing Shallow live at the Oscars. This is huge news, and in, in my opinion, it confirms 100% that Lady Gaga will win Best original song at the Oscars. There's no way they're going to perform and then not win that award. Can you imagine if they did that? It would be a scandal. It would be an absolute outrage. Furthermore, I think it's a big boost, actually, for A Star Is Born's Oscars chances, which have been slowly dying. But this shows that the Academy does like the film, or at least that song, because they're getting them to perform it. So that's massive news for the Oscars. And another piece of Oscars-themed news, Netflix has launched a Celebrate the Oscars landing page. When you go on Netflix, you know it normally has, like, um, comedy, drama, and it has all the different categories. Different genres. You can scroll across. Well, they're now uh, launching a Celebrate the Oscars, where what it will have is films that have been nominated for Oscars in the past, films that have won Oscars in the past, and they're going to put them all under that one landing page. Now, the reason they're really doing that is because they want to have Celebrate the Oscars, have loads of Oscar-nominated films, and then just have Roma right in the middle of it and basically say, look at Roma, we're nominated for an Oscar. Netflix is now an Oscar contender, which is very controversial. For example, people like Steven Spielberg say Netflix shouldn't be nominated for Oscars, but um, they're throwing a huge amount of money at this. And going forward, there's films like The Irishman, directed by Martin, Martin Scorsese, that you must think now have great opportunities is to pick up Oscars, possibly at um, the Academy Awards 2020. Oh, which um, we'll be at. We will, yes. <laughs> I'm already thinking for the uh, Academy Awards. But there's your two pieces of news. Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper performing Shallow, and Netflix now has its own Oscars section. So make sure you watch those films, including Roma, and, and let us know what you thought of Roma, because I'm still not convinced. Well, I think we're going to need to watch it again, aren't we? Not again. No, yeah, I think we are. I think we need to sit down together and turn our phones off, turn off all electrical devices other than the TV, obviously, and, um, <laughs> and, and, and watch Roma because I have this feeling that maybe if we watch it together, we might actually understand it a bit better. Let, let's try it. Let's I think try should, it. I think we should. I think we should. But alas, that is the end of the news. Oh, no. No, it isn't actually, is it? Isn't it? In other news, Brexit has been legally classified as an optical illusion. And that was the news brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So it's now time for our next review and it's Glass. So director and writer M. Night Shyamalan is back with Glass, a somewhat unexpected movie trilogy. So with Glass, we follow on 19 years later from the Unbreakable universe and David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis, is on the hunt for the person responsible for kidnaps and murders. It turns out that Kevin Wendelcrumb is the man David is looking for and the showdown begins. But stepping in to break up this fight is Dr. Ellie Staple, who specialises in treating those that believe that they have superpowers. Now, all three characters are finally brought together for the trilogy's climax. Now, before we get into our review, let's take a listen to a clip.
Trisha told us you were coming. My name is Luke, and I'm Team Horde all the way. Yep, I can intro you to everybody. I ain't no bad hombre to know. Everybody's gonna tell you that I got a big mouth, though. That's one of the end of movies. Ain't true. Everybody knows Priest dies at the end of The Exorcist. American Sublime. Do you even know what that means? No. That is why this world is a lost cause. That is why the beast is the only thing that is pure and meaningful. American Sublime refers to Western paintings of landscapes and seascapes depicting the immensity of nature. The use of violent storms in the distance was a common practice. Paintings are particularly interesting. <laughs> hey, Miss Patricia says that your bones can break if I, like, tap them. Is that true? Yes. Uh, so what's your superpower? Your, your mind? What's mine? Your nine forever, right? Yeah. Well, that's incredible. You can see the world the way it really is. Always. A kid who can never grow old. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. So I'll kick off this review very quickly by saying if you haven't seen Unbreakable or Split, turn off now. Um, we're going to try and do a non-spoiler review, but mm. I think you're going to want to see the other films first before you go and see Glass. Uh, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Go and see Unbreak. Well, see Unbreakable, see Split before you see uh, Glass, no doubt. Yes, so kicking off the review then, uh, that clip really does showcase the brilliant acting talents of Samuel Jackson and James McAvoy. Now, James McAvoy really deeply and further explores his 24 Nyon characters, I think it is, that he portrays in many a scene. And following on from Split, he does an even better job of portraying these characters because he instantaneously changes between them, whereas in Split, it was it was done very differently. It was almost like walking out of a scene, a scene changes and he becomes a different character. This way, it's, it's all in the same scene. Sometimes he's playing two, sometimes he's playing three different characters and uh, brilliantly well done. But what that clip also shows is, is the music element, the score. And the score is brilliant in this film. It's really, really good. And this is where I think our opinions are going to differ. Um, I think the score makes the film seem better than it actually is. And I think it does that in a lot of scenes where there's supposed to be some heightened action. Mm. It really does portray the, the, the action um, as something that's happening a bit more intense and it, it increases the intensity so much that you, what you're seeing visually doesn't quite match the score. Um, despite the score being fantastic, the action just doesn't match up completely. Mm. No, I totally agree. I mean, that, that clip's great. We've got like a ticking time bomb. Uh, and the problem the film has is it, it does feel like a ticking time bomb. And then when the bomb goes off, the explosion just isn't as good or as loud and as big as you want. There is still an explosion, but it's just, it, it's just not quite as good as you were hoping. I mean, the soundtrack is sensational, I will say that. Uh, it's by West Dylan Thordson. Uh, it has a very James Newton, Howard feel. Um, it also has the feel of, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer as well at times. It, it's a brilliant soundtrack. But like you say, the soundtrack is certainly better than... Um, 
the what we're given. What we are given, like you've said, is is brilliant performances. Uh, James McAvoy sensational. I actually think uh, Samuel L. Jackson steals the show in this film. Uh, I think his character is more subtle. It's a very slow burning character, and if you've seen the film, you'll know what I mean by that. He takes a while to warm up. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis. He's brilliant. The problem is the director. Um, mm. That that is the heart of the problem. So. M. Night Shyamalan or Shyamalan, however uh, you want to say it, I can never get his name right, but we'll call it M. M. Night. He has a incredible mind. What he cooks up in his head is 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 often brilliant. The way he gets it out to an audience on the screen is sometimes terrible. Um, I thought eighty percent of Unbreakable was phenomenal. I thought it was a massive game changer um, for film, actually, and the way he he brewed this story up and then had his usual twist. The problem was, I thought the twist at the end was a bit disappointing. I think the word we're looking for, and the word that I said to you numerous times, is underwhelming. Underwhelming. That's how I found Split. Uh, or I thought the ending, once it incorporated it into the Unbreakable universe, was brilliant. And here, he brings us all these characters together. He tries to to, to bring us a, a brilliant climax, um, but he, he doesn't quite achieve it. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy this film, and that is almost a bizarre contradiction, but I did. <laughs> well, I, I can agree with that. I, I There were elements of this film that I really, really enjoyed. It built up a lot of things Um to the point where I was like really hoping for this fantastic climax and I just didn't get that for me. Um, and it was really upsetting, to be honest with you, because, you know, I got that from Unbreakable. Mm. I still felt slightly un- underwhelmed with Unbreakable, but I felt like it was such a game changer with Unbreakable. And it's such an it's an old film now, Unbreakable, mm. but it still is relevant and it still years, yeah. works so well. Um, but, you know, M. Night is prolific in producing actually some great films and then some really really stink bad stinkers i mean <laughs> lady in the water wasn't great uh the last airbender what did he do to that he absolutely ruined uh the last airbender for me um you know there's a there's a lot of films that are just terrible after earth with will smith and Jaden smith was just an Absolute. The one with Stinker. Mark Wahlberg, The Happening, was fairly unwatchable. Yeah, that was um, that got really bad reviews, didn't it? I mean, I know both of us have said that the ending wasn't great. I mean, I actually thought, in terms of plot, the way the, what actually happened, I really liked his twist or double twist or triple twist or whatever you want to call it at the end. But it was somewhat disappointing visually. Like in terms of the script, I actually thought the script was very good. I actually thought the soundtrack was very good. I actually thought some of the camera work was very good. But somehow it was still slightly underwhelming. It's really hard to describe. Mm. Um, You know, Rotten Tomatoes, again, 36% of critics uh, like this film, whereas the audience is much higher, 76%. And... And overall, I, I was expecting not to like this film very much at all. And out of all the three, Unbreakable, Split and Glass, Glass was was my favourite. Um, the, the reason I've sort of criticised M. Night is because I feel that he had an opportunity here to, to make something bigger and better than he did. I mean, we talk about some of the end scenings being very underwhelming. The big showdown, it's somewhat underwhelming. And, and it's a shame because he had he had something here and he just didn't quite... Mm. Well, the beginning scene where where Kevin Wendell Crumb and 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 David come together for a, a fight scene was actually better 
than the actual showdown scene near the end, I felt. I felt it, it, it shows the abilities that they are supposedly have or maybe don't have much clearer to the eye. And it, and, and it, it felt much more exciting uh, for me. Um, you know, I just have a problem with M Night, I think, and and I think that may that may paint uh, my view of some of his films going forward, or has painted my my views of his films going forward for a while now. Um, but his use of color in the films is is brilliant. He is he does have the eye, he does have the mind, but he just walks walks a tightrope of being pure genius. And an absolute fool sometimes. Yeah, it's it's like you said. There's that fine line between madness and genius, and he seems to achieve both in in in, in some of his films. Yeah. An M Night film, you know, you're watching an M Night film if you have two characters having dialogue, and the camera will be on one of them, and then it will pan very slowly over to the other one who will speak, and then it will pan very slowly back, and that does work sometimes to build tension. It can also be a bit bit of an overkill. Um, like I said, though, Samuel L. Jackson, I thought his the script he was given and his performance was was brilliant. You have come round to this because I, I I was winding Craig up a bit because I I he he'd seen it before me and he said it oh it's not very good um it was underwhelming typical M Night. I came out and was like they've been lying to us all. You know I was actually like mind somewhat blown and I, and I want to see it again um because I want to like it like Sixth Sense and Signs were two of my favorite films as as a child so I want to like M Night and I, like I said. It's not a bad film, but he he hasn't taken the opportunity that he had, in my opinion. Yeah, and we've got M Night. We've got to talk about uh, your cameos in your films. Like I think Glass, you had too much screen presence of yourself in there at one point. I think you need to be more like Stan Lee and have these very subtle or very quick, uh, uh, um, you know, appearances on screen. I, I felt like he was in that scene far too long. I mean. The cameo wasn't bad. I didn't think his acting was bad. It was just completely pointless. It was a pointless, pointless scene. Not it, needed. It, it felt like it was inserted just so he could be in there. But he, he he's in every one of his films. So, in fact, it was just inserted so he could be in there, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, I think we've covered most of the points, and I think you've come round to this film a bit more. So I'm interested to see what you're going to say, because I don't actually know the answer to this. Well, go on, ask me the question. Go on. Craig, glass, is it worth it? Yes. Ooh. Because we've now read our stats out as to how many films I've been saying yes <laughs> and no to and the amount that I've been yes, but or no, but I, I'm actually going to gonna try and be more to the point. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yes, because actually it's worth seeing on the big screen. It's worth it for the music. It's worth it for um, the use of uh, M. Night's cinematography and use of colour and just seeing the way James McAvoy portrays lots of different characters, it, it has to be seen on the big screen, I think. Um, but other than that, it's, 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 for me, still disappointing, though. Yeah. David, is it worth it? Uh, for me, yes. No, it is, it is definitely worth uh, seeing in the cinema. Um, the, the crazy thing about this film, actually, is Unbreakable and Glass were actually produced by different studios, Disney and Universal. And this is the first time ever that Disney and Universal have co-produced a film. So fair play to M. Night for, for getting those two films joined. And it's worth it for the three actors, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, Samuel L. Jackson, are sensational. And if you've seen the first two films, you've got to see uh, the last one. I, I, I like this film. I wanted to like it more. I wanted it to be more spectacular than it was. And 
overall, I think it's an opportunity lost, but nonetheless, I still think it's a, a film well worth seeing in the cinema. And the soundtrack is fantastic. And, Craig, one last point. Um, the two actresses in this film, uh, Sarah Paulson and Anna Taylor-Joy, uh, particularly Anna Taylor-Joy, she was in Split. Uh, I think she's a phenomenal young actress, definitely one to watch. Uh, and Sarah Paulson as well, I like her character. She's the level-headed one. She brings balance to the film. I know we focused a lot on the three male uh, characters, um, but obviously they are the, the lead roles. But the two uh, female actresses uh, also bring their A-game and um, help complete what is uh, a fairly enjoyable film to watch. It's now time for our next review on Is It Worth Another the... <laughs> one! <laughs> another DJ one, DJ Khaled! <laughs> we the best music! Oh, not another no. one, DJ Khaled! Stop! <laughs> anyway, back... Sorry, Craig. No, that's okay. So, <laughs> what is this one? Well, this one is Can You Ever Forgive Me? And this one stars Melissa McCarthy in the title role playing Lee Israel. And Lee Israel is a celebrity biographer of which her latest work is to be a biography of Fanny Bryce. Uh, but to her dismay, her publisher doesn't want this biography, and so it would seem her audience doesn't want this either. Mm. Lee falls on hard times and ends up having to find other ways to make money. She turns her art form into deception. Uh, she starts to embellish letters from famous notables from Hollywood, and these include Fanny Bryce, uh, all the way up to Noel Coward. And along the way, she makes lots of friends, one of which is in the form of Jack, who is played by Richard E. Grant. No, it's not. It's Richard E. Curtis. Was it Richard E. Grant? Richard E. Grant. Oh, I got it right. Why have I got Richard E. Curtis written down there? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. It's Richard E. Grant. Anyway, let's take a listen. Do a clip. Going through. Lee Israel. It's Jack Hawk. Last time I saw you, thank you, we were both pleasantly pissed at some horrible book party. Am I right? Slowly flooding back to me. You're friends with um, Julia Steinberg? Yeah. She's not an agent anymore. She died. She did? Jesus, that's young. Maybe she didn't die. Maybe she just moved back to the suburbs. I was confused those two. No, that's right. She got married and had twins. Better to have died. Indeed. just come from having my teeth bleached. How do they look? Why would you do that? Oh, teeth are a dead giveaway. Okay. Do I buy you a drink? Even though you are the posh writer. Thank you. Craigie, yeah. top her up. So what I'm really pleased about with this film is that this isn't your typical Melissa McCarthy film. There is plenty of humour in this film, but it's not life of the party. It's not the happy time murders. This is a serious role and a very well-developed character. So I was pleased that the tone and the overall feel was nothing like a usual Melissa McCarthy film. No, it's, it's very, very different. And actually, Craig, this is the first time Melissa McCarthy has portrayed a real-life person on the screen. So all of her characters from all of her comedies, comedies and, and, and other roles have all been fictitious. So this is her first time in a, in a biopic, uh, if you will. And, and, you know, she's incredible. 
She um, is. To the point where she's received the Best Actress uh, nomination at the Academy Awards, uh, and rightly so. And Richard E. Grant, not Richard Curtis, uh, <laughs> has received a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars. I mean, he would have been fairly annoyed if the Academy had sent that to Richard Curtis. I'm so and, sorry. And I'm sure Richard Curtis would have been fairly bemused ha- having had no part to do with this film. But no, this is a film that is completely dominated and run by these two characters and their fantastic performances you know it's the pace is a little slow the subject matter isn't particularly exciting it's not like oh i'm involved in criminal activity or what are you doing you know i'm robbing banks no i'm forging letters you know and um, selling them it's it's not particularly (laughs) exciting you know it's it's fraud but it's most middle class you know it's it's not bank robbing it's you know defrauding letters so it's not the most exciting subject matter but they make it exciting. Um, then, well, yeah, exactly. But their their characters are yeah. so well developed yeah. and so well introduced, and and they have such a great rapport and banter and well, banter a word that we don't really use. Banter, uh, yeah, exactly. But it it's true. Mm. They it, they flow and bounce off each other so well, and and without them two, it, the film would be very different. I think. Yes, um, but the script is brilliant. I mean, they're they're given a very good script. The screenplay is great, actually. So that so they're given great material to work with. But what what really stands out actually with this is the contrast in emotions that we have. So there's some real dark humour. Like Craig said, this isn't normal Melissa McCarthy slipping on banana skins humour. This is black comedy. You know, we heard in the clip there where, oh, they had kids and moved to the suburbs and she's like, would have been better to have died. It's that kind of humour. But then, my word, the emotion they bring as well. Melissa McCarthy, at a number of points, tears up, um, no spoilers here, but there's there's one particular scene which is very, very sad. Um, and she really, really brings it. And um, I nearly said Richard Curtis. Richard E. Grant <laughs> is also brilliant. And when, when, when it does get serious, they're both so convincing in these roles. And it, and it is such a contrast to what we, we've seen them in before, but also the other dimensions of their characters throughout the film. And... Of all the films I've seen since doing this podcast, there's only been a couple. I've never cried. I seem to have lost the ability to cry. I don't know. Maybe I'm dehydrated. Should probably drink some more water. <laughs> Too much of that dark roast, probably. But I didn't cry in this, but I welled up. There's a particular scene at the end, near the end of the film, that's really emotional. And I thought it was sensational. Oscar-worthy stuff from both of them. Mm. Well, interesting fact that I recently discovered about this film was that Richard E. Grant mm. and uh, Melissa McCarthy were both brought in to be in this film very late in the stage. Julianne Moore was attached to the film mm. um, and departed um, late in the game uh, due to creative differences. Mm. And the only reason Melissa McCarthy is in this film is because her husband is actually in the film. Uh, he plays one of the book dealers or one of the one of the dealers. Oh, um, wow. And uh, th- without... Melissa McCarthy stepping into the role or being asked to be join the join the cast, uh, they wouldn't have been backed by Fox Searchlight. Um, and then very late on, Richard Grant E. Grant was at, was was attached very very late in the game. He had twenty four hours to read the script. Wow. Um, and now we have two performances up for Oscars from this. Mm. How incredible was that? And and do you know what we we did absolutely roast Melissa McCarthy for. Um, Happy Time Murders, and rightly so. I mean, it was 
Oh, no, blimey, nearly swore there. Oh, my God. <laughs> it no. was shocking. Um, it was absolutely woeful. But this proves, I mean, this isn't like a, a, a career-changing, this is a career-defining performance. I mean, she's in a very tough category. Um, I don't think she, well, she won't win the Oscar. She's up against Lady Lady Gaga, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, um, to, to name a few. What a performance. She deserves so much credit for this. And actually, more of this, Melissa, more of this real emotion and real acting. You can do it and you can do it to an impeccable standard. Give up on the the trash and the rubbish that big Hollywood companies are throwing at you because you're well known. You're better than it and you prove it in this film. And Richard E. Grant, hats off to you. You were also incredible. Yeah, and I I don't think we need to add very much more to this. So, David, I'm going to ask you the question. Can you ever forgive me? No, I can't. <laughs> is it worth it? <laughs> you knew I was going to yeah, do that. Yeah, I knew you were going to do uh, that. Can you ever forgive me? Is it worth it? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, 98% of critics like this on Rotten Tomatoes. That is sensational. 84% of audience members like it. Uh, and I totally agree with those stats. Critically, this is about as close to perfect as you can get. Brilliantly acted, brilliantly shot, um, brilliant script, well edited. It's 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 superb. I really recommend it it's it's not exciting so to say and it's very different but for me so so worth it for a number of reasons particularly the acting yeah it's it's fantastic uh yes 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 it's worth it no go. no 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 go and see it <laughs> no no parking on the upper field no Is it worth it? Cinema at home. Yes, it's that time again <laughs> for Is It Worth It? Cinema at home. I sound like a total buffoon there. No, you don't. Um, well, I sound like a buffoon all the time. But we'll kick off by saying that we've got a, a special guest uh, on the uh, on the show this week in this segment. Uh, we've had an interview with Paul Newbegin, who is the um, creator and presenter of The Pass podcast. It's a podcast that in, uh, interviews some of the UK's biggest chefs off shows like MasterChef, Great British Menu. Uh, so we got Paul on to talk a little bit about that and also to talk a little bit about some of the films that he likes and dislikes. Uh, Take a little listen to our interview now with Paul. So we do have a wonderful guest on the telephone right now. It's Mr. Paul Newbegin of The Past Podcast. Paul, hello, how are you? All right. I I must say, I do feel like you've gone backwards in your guests from the, the, what was his name, the guy who produced Searching. Sev Ohanian. Yeah, you've taken a massive, <laughs> massive step backwards, haven't you, really? Because I've got absolutely nothing to do with the world of film, but I do, I really enjoy your show. So I'm, I'm very happy to be down the other end of the line to you. Well, we've, we've wanted to have you on for a while now. And uh, one of the reasons is obviously because your, your podcasting abilities with the past podcast is, is something we, we both really enjoy. We both listen to the podcast. Uh, and we obviously, me and you, we do discuss on and off about uh, the films that you're watching, the films that we're watching. Um, so it'd be good to get some insights into the films you've recently seen. And just tell us a bit about your past podcast as well and where you're going with it at the minute. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Craig, that I, you know, I do, I really love films. I really genuinely do enjoy films. I'm not like a big cinema goer. Don't, you know, I, I, I can honestly tell you that the last time I went to the cinema, I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So I don't know when, 
I don't know when that came out. Like 2004, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but that was yeah. the last time I went. But I, I, I love. I mean, I got. I obviously had Netflix, and I've got Sky Cinema at the minute. So I, you know, I listen to the podcast because what happens in general life conversation is nobody wants to talk about Michelin star chefs, which is what I want to podcast, which is what I podcast about. They all talk about the latest films. And then by listening to your show, I can have an instant snap decision as to whether it's good or not, <laughs> and at least kind of contribute for a couple of minutes and say, oh, yeah, I have heard that's good, and kind of pretend like I've seen it. Mm. Obviously, Paul, you did just mention uh, the past podcast. Um, just for our listeners, just tell us briefly a little bit about what you do uh, and also some of the, the chefs that you've interviewed, because like you said, I mean, you have interviewed some of uh, the UK's uh, best chefs. Yeah, I mean, you know, Longy, I'm a massive, I've been a foodie for all my life, I love food, and, you know, obviously I understand that sometimes streams don't cross, but if you if if your listeners are fans of MasterChef or Great British Menu or Saturday Kitchen or Sunday Brunch or any of the various cookery shows, I could probably guarantee that I'll have had at least one guest that, that people will, will recognise, mm. and... I get boxed in to say that I interview Michelin chefs a lot and that high end. And, you know, yeah, I do. I do interview a lot of those guys because that is my interest. But I've had, there's a guy on the last series, a guy called Callum Franklin, and he's world famous for making pies. <laughs> and his most famous dish ever is a Scotch egg that won a really prestigious award. So, you know, it's not, it isn't all just finery and high tear, high tear. A, a, a Scotch egg. I mean, that's that is a, a fantastic effort. We, we've we've actually reviewed Vice on this show uh, where Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney and he put on forty five pounds eating mostly pies. I'm well, he sure. probably yeah. Well, he probably went to uh, probably went to that Callum's restaurant. Then it is very it's well known for making top quality pies. I have seen uh, clips of that of Christian Bale looking rather bloated. Surely it's the easier option of you know when you hear like Chris Pratt has beefed up to play the role you know my version would be no literally would be beefing up by eating copious amounts of pulled beef and suet puddings and you know, that's the role that i would play yeah uh believe it or not that is what bale did he also did uh, quite a lot of neck exercises to in- in- increase the size of his neck um not only so he could get more pie in but also i think he had to get to like a size 34 inch collar for uh, to play dick do cheney th- do you think it was like that um that thing that went viral of mark Wahlberg, you know when he wakes up at 3am but his version is wake up 3am eat pie 4am second pie i'm so i'm i'm so salt. I'm so glad you brought up Mark Wahlberg. That regime is mad. It's like three o'clock, wake up, do a 10-mile run, play a round of golf, uh, have a protein shake, pray, read the Bible, write a book. Uh, 7 a.m., kids wake up. It's like you've already like conquered half of the world. Mark Wahlberg, we, we, we envy you. Yeah, but what I loved was there was that bit where the kids were awake for an hour, but he was in like a cryostasis tube or something. <laughs> yeah, an oxygen so he just tube has to wave or at his family from inside a tube. <laughs> oh yeah, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, because he puts his body through so much physical strain, he has to uh, yeah put himself in some sort of torture chamber where he freezes himself in a high oxygen chamber. Just the kids yeah. are there eating their cocoa pops, and their dad's like an, an icicle <laughs> in the corner of the room. He basically hand solos him himself for an hour every day (laughs) (laughs) 
So, Paul, uh, give us a film that you've seen recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners. It could be on streaming services. It could be in the cinema, but obviously you haven't seen the film since uh, Guardians you know of the Galaxy. Really, so. Do you know what notes I've been preparing all day? Craig, you know that I've seen this film recently, and I know you both love this film. Um, Sky Cinema just put on A Quiet Place. Ooh. Uh, and I watched it, and I absolutely adored that film. I I really, really loved it. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's a couple of reasons for why. Obviously, you guys have commented on the sound or sort of lack of. that. The, the soundscape is just, it's so gripping how little there actually is mm. to work with. It just, it engrosses you. But what, what I love, which I think they do really cleverly, it's the foreshadowing, you know, the foreshadowing at the beginning of the rocket um, with the child's playing, and then it cuts to that bridge scene where mm. the rocket is obviously then being used. And then the rockets come kind of into play later as well. It's it's really, really clever. And they do that, the scene with the nail. And it, it actually kind of struck to me, it was almost like... Uh, dramatic irony because the audience knows the audience has seen the nail but the character hasn't mm. and I, I just yeah it was so it was so clever the only thing the only thing i would say and i know longy's made this point about a few films actually they films like that they come a cropper when they have to deal with the audience seeing the monster mm. because if you see it for too long the effect's gone and there's a good five minutes in that film where the monster's head is rippling and bubbling at a, <laughs> at a sound um, and weirdly it looks like the monster in Stranger Things but it, it, you, the audience is going alright okay the, the the effect is lost now Yeah, and that's that's the only problem that those films has is that, you know the minute you see the monster that bit that bridge scene that I just said about where it swipes and it's gone mm. that's so effective but when you're sort of staring at this bubbling head of a monster you you, you you know you can kind of see past it and just think uh, you know you could have just cut that and the film would have been great yeah it's, it's interesting you should say that paul recently uh bird box as well i think fell a cropper with the same thing they didn't actually show the monster but they did record it actually originally it was sandra bullock described it as a large slug with a baby's head um, and she said it was so utterly ridiculous that she couldn't help but laugh. So they eventually had to cut it from the from the final take. Actually, the quiet place. One of its downfalls is when you do finally see the monster. Like you said, it sort of distracts from the original source of the film. But I'm I'm delighted you picked that film because yeah, it, it's superb. And uh, Emily Blunt actually just picked up a. I saw that. Um, Screen Actors Guild for yeah, she's, best supporting. She's fabulous in that film. Um, I, I found it. I don't know what your take is. I don't know how it works. But it said that she was a supporting actress i mean i think she absolutely leads that film. yeah absolutely um, a lot of people of a lot of people have said that she is the leading leading actress without by by a hundred miles in that film and to get a supporting actress is it's, it's obviously a nod to her you know doing some great work this year with with a quiet place at the beginning of the year and then mary poppins at the end of the year um but leading actress actress all the way i don't know why she got yeah, supporting actress. That, felt very, that felt very strange to me i um I did. I did also watch, let's say, forty-five minutes because I did get bored of the film that Craig's now going to tell me off for not liking is the Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, we had a, we had a brief conversation we about did, this one had, as well, didn't we? <laughs> I let me let me tell you this right. I'll I'll give you an abridged version of my Wes Anderson thoughts. 
Longy, last week you you really made me laugh with your infinite monkey typewriter mm. comparison to the the boys on the Holmes and Watson, mm. and I would draw almost a similar comparison to Wesley Anderson in that it almost feels like a panel of seven individuals have <laughs> sat around a table and gone, how can we make a film as hipster as humanly possible, boys? Mm. Let's let's sit around and, oh, Japan, Asia, that's very hipster. <laughs> oh, hipsters do love a dog. Oh, there is cut scenes and all these weird flashbacks and odd close-ups of a weird dull pulling awkward bruised faces it no, it, it, it wasn't for me i'm sorry it, it, it's bizarre i mean i love uh, wes anderson i think he's great um i don't think isle of dogs is his best work i think grand budapest is one of his better films i don't know if you've seen that that's actually yeah, available on that. netflix so, at the say, moment um, film. it just it just it's not a film you know again quiet place is supposed to be a horror right but you can yeah. i love a film that can immerse me and I can just be, I can watch the film and you are captivated in it. Mm. It's, it's almost like with Wes Anderson that he wants you to be aware that you're watching a yeah, film. he makes it very apparent. I mean, everyone likes an immersive experience. For example, Jewel at Alton Towers, one of the most immersive experiences oh. of, of all time. Um, before we let you go, Paul, um, obviously... I know you're, well, I believe you're, you're coming to, to an end with the pass. So just briefly share a bit about that. And finally, just, you know, um, I'm going to let you name plug a few of your most prestigious catches on the podcast uh, to really whet the appetite for our listeners to download your podcast. Well, yeah, so what, what's, what date are we on today? So it's the 31st today. Tomorrow is so tomorrow's the first are we on is the last episode of this series um there'll be a couple of little bonuses because i always like to throw a bonus in but tomorrow is not a name that people will be like loads of people will know but it's a really talented asian chef trying to bring asian cuisine to the sort of michelin world a guy called andrew wong he's on tomorrow uh, and then we will be back um the big, the one of the biggest names. I'll give you an exclusive teaser, which even my listeners don't know, is uh, Tommy Banks, who loads of people will know as Great British Menu winner. He also presents on BBC uh, cookery program. Um, he's coming on the next series, and I'm also actually recording that lunchtime tomorrow as well on the first. So he'll probably be the first episode for series six, I believe. Which, as you said, Long is probably going to be my swan song series for the past podcast which i'm really excited about um and also sad about at the same time but yeah there'll be lots of big guests next series so if people are interested in cooking in any way um then you know i would you can find me on all the same places that they can find you twitter facebook instagram and apple podcasts and overcast and all of those places as well isn't it all of all of the above craig all of the above Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you very much for joining us on uh, oh, Week 27. I've really been looking forward to this all day. I uh, really love the show, guys. You always keep me entertained on my way to work. Um, and I have to say, I will be breaking my cinema duck twice soon because Craig knows how excited I am for the upcoming Marvel films, and I'm not going to wait for those. I am going to go to the cinema. So I'll write in with a review of Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. <laughs> 
So thank you very much to Mr. <laughs> Newbegin for that wonderful interview. Uh, it's always great to have other people from outside of our podcast mm. film universe coming together, talking about their podcast and uh, telling us what they like about films and the films that they've seen. So I think we're going to try and do this a bit more often. Actually. Yeah, I'd like to do that. And it was great to have Paul on the show. Paul's a really nice guy. He's very humble. I tried to get him to plug his podcast, but he's, he's that humble. I don't think he plugged it as hard as he could, but it is a great listen. And if you love your cooking and if you love your food as much as Paul, particularly a suet pudding, then definitely download <laughs> The Pass. Again, it's available on iTunes and various other podcasting platforms. Uh, so back to our main part of this uh, segment, the cinema at home feature. David, what have you got to recommend this week? So I'm going to recommend two films, uh, A Star is Born and The Wife. Both are now available on digital download, uh, available on iTunes uh, to buy and uh, Google Google Podcasts. Uh, I think it's gone on Amazon as well. Google Podcasts? Sorry, Google Podcasts. Sorry, Google Play Store is what I meant. Google Play, Amazon, uh, iTunes. So it's a digital download. And the reason I'm recommending A Star is Born and The Wife is because they're both fantastic. If you haven't seen them in the cinema, they're films you must see. And also Lady Gaga and Glenn Close are going head-to-head in three or four weeks' time at the Academy Awards um, for Best Leading Actress. It looks like Glenn Close is going to win. And, you know, I, I wouldn't mind that because she is sensational in this film. If you want to see a film that shows you how to, you know, control a role and act with such precision and such quality, watch The Wife. She is sensational in it. Six-time Oscar nominee. Maybe this is her year. If you haven't seen The Wife, definitely download it. And the same with A Star Is Born. Everyone knows how much I love that. Uh, available to download on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. Yeah, and, and other various uh, downloading not, stores. Not Google Podcasts. Not, not Google, you can't download it on there. The um, Wife, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have Mamma Mia that I'm going to recommend uh, available on uh, iTunes and all those as well for digital download. Uh, we really enjoyed that one, didn't we? Technically, technically, it's called Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. What did I call it? You just called it Mamma Mia. Sorry, Mamma Mia. That's the first one. Yes, sorry, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Uh, We we did love this and we interviewed a lot of people uh, coming out of the cinema who absolutely loved it as well. We got a lot of correspondence for it too. Um, Worth purchasing for digital download, I'd say. Maybe even the sing-along version. I remember going to my auntie's house and they had the sing-along version and my my auntie, my mum, was singing along to it. It was horrific. But secretly, um, deep down inside, you enjoyed it, didn't you? Maybe. The songs are... Uh, moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> we'd also like to recommend a number of films on Now TV. Uh, they are Isle of Dogs, A Quiet Place and Unsane, uh, as well as Love, Simon. All four of those films are available on Now TV. Uh, and for a variety of different reasons, they're all well worth watching. Yeah, 100%. And Unsane was the one that I reviewed. It was very early on when we started doing the podcast. Mm. And it was the one that was shot entirely on an iPhone, uh, starred Claire Foy uh, in, in, a, in a very twisty political... No, it wasn't political. It was very twisty thriller, is what I meant mm. to say. Uh, and very, very insane, actually, rather than Unsane. But uh, it was very, very good. Yeah, and Love, Simon, I've recommended this many, many times, yeah. including when it came out on DVD. But it's still one of my favourite film since doing the podcast it was a film that i was expecting to hate and i loved it really i thoroughly recommend watching that on now tv and also a quiet place brilliant film um and uh 
Emily Blunt also won the Screen Actors Guild for Best Supporting Actress for her role in that. Uh, and, you know, I can see why. She was brilliant. Well, Paul can't obviously uh, say Isle of Dogs is worth it because uh, he turned it off after, <laughs> was it 20 minutes? For, in the interview? For, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. 40 yeah. minutes. It's, it's unique. It's, it's Wesley Anderson. Yeah. It's, it's different. But glad that he liked The Quiet Place, actually. Yes. So, a good one to recommend. Uh, Bubbling. So, <laughs> that's all of that's all of the films that have recently entered the world of digital downloads and streaming, uh, mm. and we'll bring you more of those next week. We will, indeed. Is it worth it? Cinema at home. So it's now time for our next film, and it's Mary Queen of Scots. Josie Rourke directs Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie in this historic movie that some of us will go into knowing the history, or at least a small part of it. So it's how the film portrays the characters of these two extraordinary women. The widowed Mary returns home to Scotland to take up her throne, and this seems to threaten her English cousin, Queen Elizabeth I, who must produce an heir if she wishes to stop Mary from having first claim to the throne. Let's take a listen to a clip. If you grant her succession, we are rewarding her disobedience. What disobedience? She is not our subject. And yet you would make us hers. What have you produced in all your travels between our kingdoms? Discord? War? Death? And now you have the boldness to doubt my judgment. You had better question yours. I regret that you perceive me as a failure. We serve you fully. With all our hearts. Any one of us would gladly die for you, but Mary is our foe and a Catholic. She is only your queen if I should not produce an heir. And will you, madam? For you have given us little hope so far. Despite your every effort, she has prevailed. She has proven herself, in fact... Far more capable than my own Privy Council. Should I die before my time, we could do worse than to place her on the throne of England. So I think that's a fantastic clip. It shows a number of the main uh, themes within this film. But I'm going to kick the review off by saying that this film has a problem. Um, And it's a problem that all history dramas face. uh, And it's simply, who is this film aiming to please? Is it aiming to please the critic, the audience or the historian? Um... Rarely, and if ever, can a history film please all three. It's almost impossible. Um, the downfall of this film is actually I don't think it pleases any of those uh, audience. I think critically it's flawed. Historically, it's inaccurate. And for the audience, perhaps it just isn't dramatic enough. You know, it's not like The Favourite, which feels very relevant and modern and, you know... Um, watchable in many ways. Whereas this seems old and a little bit dead at times. And I think that's the problem of this film. The The, the actresses are superb. Um, Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan are brilliant. Uh, Margot Robbie is actually the second Australian actress to portray uh, Queen Elizabeth I. The first was Kate Blanchett in Elizabeth, 1998, uh, and then in Elizabeth the Golden Age in 2007. And th- the problem with the film isn't their portrayals. I think both of them, uh, Elizabeth and Mary, Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie, are sensational the problem is the, the film itself. Like I said, historically, it's inaccurate. Um, I felt like the the screenplay was 
not great. Um, the script was a bit ropey, and it and it bumbles along, and it not enough happens to keep the audience right on the edge of their seat. It's interesting that you say that. So uh, Josie Rourke comes from a very theatrical background, so she directs a lot of theatre productions, and I believe this is her first movie that she's gone into mm. and and portraying something on the big screen. And I think it's a bit of a um, a downfall of these directors who go from theatre to film. Mm. Um, they can end up taking a screenplay and turning it into a very wooden production mm. and making it feel very theatrical. And that the dialogue in this film is very theatrical. Mm. And I think the the girls, Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie, do a very good job in utilising this screenplay and, mm. and, and have a great performance within within the film. But it does feel very theatrical. And, and I can see your point of view here. Um, drawing some comparisons here to a film that we saw earlier on in season one, uh, Wonder Will by Woody Allen. Now that felt very staged and very wooden and very theatrical. Ah. However, that wasn't that wasn't a theatre production mm. or a theater, someone coming from a theatre film. So actually, you have to give Jersey, uh, Josie Rourke credit where credit is due for someone coming from that background into this. She hasn't actually done a bad job if you think about it. Mm. It's I, for me. I actually I, I actually really really enjoyed the film and I enjoyed the film because. I didn't know all of the history. I knew the ending, the outcome, mm. like most people may know that. Um, but I didn't know everything that happened in between. And, and, I, and I haven't decided to take up uh, any research to find <laughs> out whether or not it's completely... No, no his- trips to the local library. Then. No, no. I didn't want to find out whether how inaccurate it was. Mm. Now, it was brought to my attention that... Uh, so Saoirse Ronan playing Mary Queen of Scots, she came back from France um would she have had a Scottish accent probably not she probably would have had some sort of weird Scottish French accent going on um but is that a big downfall is that a big inaccuracy I probably would excuse that one Mm. um and then one of the other pieces of one other scene that I felt was very clearly inaccurate was the scene where the two come together uh, and meet face to face now that scene plays out in a very theatrical way, the way that they're walking through all of the uh, curtained mm. or white drapes within uh, a a was it some sort of farm farmhouse? I think it's linen that's actually linen that's being dried. So they're like you said, they're moving. I thought that scene was actually one of the best of the film. It, it, it actually, I felt it was very very good. But again, it was very staged, very mm. theatrical. Um, but it was the most amount of tension that they could have brought into the film, the most amount of emotional impact. And I did hear an interview between the two um, about how that that was actually filmed. And that was actually the first scene that they actually filmed in the film. And they hadn't met each other before that. Um, and they hadn't seen each other in their costumes or anything. So mm. they, they weren't going to play that scene the way they played it. Uh, there was going to be no emotion. It's going to be very straight. Mm. And it played out completely different on screen. And it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew that as well. And it does have that feel, actually, this film. It feels like it's two separate films. So you've got the Margot Robbie film and then you've got the Saoirse Ronan film. And they manage to pull them together. But the problem is, is they don't really pull it together in a brilliant way. And when they finally do come together, it's almost too late. I think that scene should have been much, much earlier. Then you've got the problem of, well, how historically accurate is that? Um, and, and that is the 
the major da- downfall of the film is it's confused. It tries to please everybody, and, and in many ways it ends up pleasing nobody. You know, if, if you went for a really historically accurate piece, perhaps the audiences wouldn't like it as much, but p- potentially historians and the critics would. It's in- really interesting you said about how it felt very theatrical. I could really imagine this in the theatre, Margot Robbie and Saoirse Ronan, particularly the makeup, the the dress, it, it has got a very theatrical feel. The whole film is quite uncinematic, and then the director tries to make it more cinematic by having, you know, drone shots of Scotland, which are very, very beautiful, but they almost feel like they've just been plopped in for the sake of it. You know, this this one scene where Saoirse Ronan is riding a horse up a mountain, again, very beautifully shot, but it's like, mm, you know, this is very theatrical. Let's make it feel more cinematic. R- Saoirse, get that horse, ride up this mountain, and we're going to film it with a drone and then plonk it in the middle of the film. And there's other bits like that where there's men on horses riding, and we're like, mm, that, that's David's doing a very good impression of horse riding. There. You know, and they're, and they're riding their horses. And then, you know, you've got low angle shots, high angle shots, you know, horse eye view shots for no reason. Mm. It's like, who were those men? Why were they riding horses? Where were they going? Well, it doesn't matter. But there's a bit of cinematic, um, uh, you know, experience for you. Now let's get back to the to the heavy sort of theatrical drama. Um, it's, it's a film that I quite enjoyed, uh, but it's a film that is only held together by the leads without the without the two powerful leads um it it it, it would really struggle because like i said i think the screenplay is a little bit ropey and and uneven uh, if you look at the scores it gets on rotten tomatoes 62% of critics like it that's not high enough mm. for a film of this type it has to have a high critical reception and if it's got a lower audience reception then that's fine or vice versa, but it's got 62% of the critics like it and then 45% of the audience. The audience score is fine if it's got 70, 80, 90% of critics, or vice versa, if 45% of the critics like it, well, who cares if 80, 90% of the audience like it? And unfortunately, they've they failed to please either of those groups, which really makes it uh, a somewhat underwhelming and potentially, I would think, unsuccessful film Mm. in terms of awards as well the uh oscar nominations for this film is best achievement in makeup and hairstyling and best achievement in costume design and i can see i can see that being a a worthy nomination Um, the costumes and the hair and makeup in this film is superb and it is pretty spot on and it's very spectacular no chance of winning though no. What else is... Uh, is there something else that's there, up for that that you think is going to win? For, for hair and makeup, that, well, Vice will win. That's just a, a no-brainer. That's a fact. That is as, as certain as Oscars come. You know, Vice for hair and makeup yeah. and Shallow for best original song. They're pretty much in the bag already. Um, and rightly so. I mean, the makeup in Vice is, is brilliant. But the makeup in this is great because um, without trying to sound, you know macho egotistical or sexist uh, I'm, I'm gonna try they make margot robbie look fairly hideous uh, at points in this film um with incredible makeup when she comes down with some sort of skin infection uh, is it boils or, or, or some boils sort? or pox or some yeah, sort. and and you know so they then have that and then they have the scarring from that and then the makeup over the top and margot robbie is unrecognizable i mean we're used to seeing her um, looking stunning, you know. Think of Wolf of Wall Street and, and and things like that. And and here they do an incredible job of of humanizing her, actually bringing her down to a a, a level where you can understand her. And and also it takes away that um, idea that monarchs are people of 
untouchables. You know, she seems very real in this film and her, her struggles seem very real. So I think the hair and makeup is, is brilliant. Mm, I, I agree with that. Uh, so I think we're ready to ask questions, don't you? Yes. Okay, David. Mary Queen of Scots, is it worth it? No. Ooh. Um, I've, one thing I will say is I've just realised that obviously we do prep for this uh, podcast and we like to know what we say. I never decide before. I never write yes or no. I don't know if you do. No, no. I, like, I always decide at the moment. And at the moment, I would say I don't think it's worth seeing in the cinema. I just think there's better films to see. If you want to see a, a, a period piece that's more relevant more exciting um go and see the favorite i think you'll get a lot more out of that i don't think this is a disastrous film uh, i think the 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 acting is is, is spectacular but it, it, it's just not worth it <laughs> <laughs> uh in my opinion i actually think this film is worth going to see in the cinema i i really did enjoy the film despite knowing its downfalls now uh, and having a discussion with you it's made me less inclined to say yes it's worth it but i still think it's worth going to see um i i enjoyed especially margot robbie's performance i enjoyed saoirse ronan's performance i always enjoy saoirse ronan's performance and, and margot robbie's actually for that for that matter and i think it's got a great ensemble cast as well and i think for going to see it on the big screen for the hair the makeup for everything really i think it's it's definitely worth going to see in the cinema um yeah yeah definitely So it's now time for our final review of week 27 and it's green book so david we actually saw this as an unlimited screening, which seems like absolutely years ago. It was. Well, it, was. It, it, was, it, it actually was, was last yeah. year. Um, yeah, I was delighted when this came on. It was a film that I'd heard a lot about. I'd said to you that I think it was going to be a major player in the Oscars race. Um, but yeah, it does seem like a long, long time ago. But finally, we can um, bring it to our listeners because it's only just come out, actually, only a few days ago, which is crazy. Indeed. Uh, so anyway, what's this film about, David? So, well, I'll tell you what it's about. Uh, In 1962, Tony Lip, a rugged, hungry, working-class Italian-American, is hired to accompany a highly refined African-American musician, Dr. Don Shirley, on his tour of the Deep South. It's Tony's job to drive him, look out for him, and make sure he gets to where he's needed to be on time. This is a story of a blossoming friendship in the most unlikely circumstances. Let's take a listen to a clip. Dear Dolores, D-E-A-R, this is an animal. As I'm writing this letter, I'm eating potato chips, and I'm starting to get thirsty. And you know this is pathetic, right? Tell me what you're trying to say. I don't know. Yeah, I miss her. Then say that, but do it in a manner that no one else has ever done it before. Something like, uh, put this down. Falling in love with you was the easiest thing I've ever done. Nothing matters to me but you. And every day I'm alive, I'm aware of this. I loved you the day I met you. I love you today. And I will love you the rest of my life. So can I put the P.S. kiss the kids? A P.S.? Yeah, like at the end. That's like clinging a cowbell at the end of Shostakovich's the seventh. Right. That's good. It's perfect, Tony. 
So I think that's a, a fantastic uh, clip from the film. And it's the first time, really, that our two main characters sit down and, and get to know each other. And Dr. Don Shirley's obviously really happy that he can help um, Tony uh, write these letters to his wife. He obviously promised his his wife that he would he would write to her as, as he was going to be away for a long time. And that that's one of the main uh, themes of the film, you know, their, their growing friendship. But this is a, a film that has lots of themes, you know, racial tension, um, inequality, class inequality. Um, and this is a film that I was really excited to see. I was delighted when it came on. But ultimately that I enjoyed. However, I have I have issues with this film. The, the first one being is that it is Oscar bait, 100% Oscar bait. It's Oscar bait that's made from a good place. I don't think it's literally just, oh, let's make this so we win an Oscar. But it has that feel of a really, it ticks so many boxes and it ticks them in such a way that it's almost like a checklist for for a, for an Oscar film. Um, and, you know, it's a fairly simple story, but it touches on some very, very heavy issues, but without ever really getting to grips with them. You know, for example, you know, class and race aren't the only issues. Uh, there's also sexual identity, which the film touches on, but so briefly, it just felt like, yep, we mentioned sexual identity. Let's tick that off in our, in our list of things that we want to get across. I think the actors embrace the script and bring both the characters to life. Uh, Mahashala Ali is... is um, sensational and he's winning everything you know he's won golden globes critics choice uh, and i would be very very surprised if he didn't win best supporting actor uh, at the oscars um vigo mortensen is is also brilliant as tony lip you know we described him as a hungry rugged working class italian and I, and I didn't mean like hungry for success i meant hungry as in all he does in this film is eat and eat and eat yep. and uh, vigo mortensen actually um met tony lip's uh, family and was invited to theirs for dinner and he said that he could couldn't move because it was traditional Italian American plates and plates of food. So I think both the characters really embrace their roles very, very well. And with what they're given, I think they do a great job. I just felt that this film was a little bit too safe, a little bit too predictable, and ultimately it was a real crowd pleaser. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with that. There is genuinely nothing wrong with that. And, and in terms of an uplifting, enjoyable film, it really was just that, an uplifting and enjoyable film. But do I think it's a best picture winner at the Oscars? I don't think so. However, uh, it looks like, you know, I, I may well be proved wrong because it's done incredibly well at the awards, uh, obviously winning a Golden Globe for um, best motion picture comedy or musical. And then more importantly than that, it went on to win the best picture for the in the Producers Guild of America Awards. Now, that's huge because in the last 30 years of those awards, 23 films that have won that um, Producers Guild have gone on to win best picture at the Oscars. We're going to be bringing you loads more stats like that in our in our award season special. But that award means that this is now pretty much one of the main leaders for Best Picture. It's miles ahead in the race of The Favourite. It's miles ahead in the race of A Star Is Born, unfortunately. But for me, a film that deals with the issues of racial inequality in America, both past and present, better than this, is Black Klansman. Um, I think Black Klansman is a better film than this. I think it's more hard-hitting, it's more real, um, it's more unashamed. Uh, and for those reasons, I just think it's a more worthy Best Picture winner. So my point of view on this film is that, first of all, it has the chemistry 
for everything that I would love to see in a film. And and as you say, it's the chemistry for everything that makes up a great Oscar film or what you like to call Oscar bait. Mm. So what has it got? As you've already mentioned, it's got the racial tension. It's got the um, sexual um, uh, orientation, uh, confusion, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's also got um, poverty in some respects. It's got um, two people coming together and, and and a blossoming friendship coming together and, and happening unexpectedly or in the most unexpected ways. And, and this makes for a very enjoyable film. I agree with you. Is this going to win Best Picture at the Oscars or can it win Best Picture at the Oscars? It can. Mm. I think everything's pointing in that direction that it possibly can. Should it? Is it the most worthy? I'm not so sure. I mean, there are other films that are certainly more worthy and other films that we believe should win at the Oscars. Mm. And we've been talking about it nonstop and most people are going to know what film that is that we're referring to. Um, <coughs> Bradley Cooper and Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but... The the point that I'm trying to make is here that I really enjoyed the film. I really mm. loved it. And I, I fell in love with the characters. I fell in love with the way it was portrayed on screen. Um, the twists and turns, as you say, were somewhat predictable. You you knew it was going to happen, but I forgave it for that. Mm. Um, I, I'm a pretty forgiving guy, I think. I mean, don't get me wrong, Craig. I really enjoyed this film. I really enjoyed the performances. I really enjoyed the story. And there's a, num- there's a few bits in this film where I'm like, yes. That's great. There's one particular scene with the two lead actors where we see raw emotion. It looks like one of those take, wow, cut. We're using that. That was perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know the scene I'm talking about. I'm obviously not going to say what it is um, because I want people to enjoy it. But it's a standout scene um, where uh, Dr. Don Shirley is really questioning who is he? What is he? What is his role in society? You know, he's a, a African-American man playing classical music in the deep South. That is odd. That is weird. And he wants to do it for the very reasons of challenging stereotypes. It's almost like a double entendre. So, you know, I'm going to go there and do it because it challenges stereotypes whilst being, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 re- it's really, really strange. But my only issue with it is, is it feels too robotic, too safe and too predictable. Too formulaic. Too formulaic to be a best picture. Now, if it wins best picture, it won't surprise me because like I've said, it is looking likely at the moment it's second favourite behind Roma. Um, I would much prefer this to, to win best picture over Roma. But I just think in terms of racial inequality, racial tensions, Black Klansman is a better film and the end of that film is so hard hitting yeah. and so risky and so dangerous and so shocking that it deserves um, to, to be recognised for that. Um, you know, critics, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, audience, 95%. Couldn't agree more with that. I think yeah. this is a film, 82%, I think is right. It's it's a, it's a solid 80% film from the critics. Audience, 95 doesn't surprise me at all because it's a really feel-good film. Um, I, I just don't think it's a best picture, personally. I have to comment on the soundtrack as well and the music within this film I think it's absolutely outstanding and I am a fan of classical music um, I, I love Max Richer uh, Ludovici and Audi is brilliant and actually something I didn't talk about in the upside was that the French uh, version the soundtrack was actually done by Ludovici and Audi I know you're um, a big fan of and Ludovici yeah, yeah. and his soon, music is heavenly as soon as that film opened in, in, in The Intouchable I recognised it instantaneously mm. I knew that was him and this film has a lot of recognition recognizable uh classical music a, a lot of um recognizable uh pianist uh, or 
piano music that obviously um, our main protagonist uh, plays in the film. And for me, uh, that was a really wonderful experience as well because I love to see that sort of thing recreated yeah. on the screen. And, and it's lovely to see Tony Lip, this, like we said, this Italian-American, hey, you know, I'm from the Bronx, meeting Dr. <laughs> Don Shirley, this very, you know, rigid... Uh, Complete, they're polar opposites, and Tony gets Dr. Don to enjoy things that he hasn't enjoyed before, like fried chicken, and do- the doctor gets Tony to enjoy things he hasn't before, like, you know, classical refined mm. music, and he wants him to work on his diction and his etiquette, and it is brilliant, and the chemistry between them is great, and uh, Vigo Mortensen, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that he gets a Best Actor nomination at the Academy Awards. Mahershala Ali is brilliant. It's his second nomination. I think he also got nominated for his role in... Um, I've literally just forgotten the name of the film. Was it Moonlight? Moonlight. I was about to say Spotlight. Totally different, but Moonlight. Uh, And he is great. And and like I said, I'm not saying I don't like this film, Craig. I really do. And when it comes to the question, I think you know what my answer will be. I'm just not convinced it's a best picture, but I do want to see it again. Yeah, it, I, I really want to see it again. And I think maybe we should go and see it together. And I mean, together. We, saw it, we saw it together, didn't we? But we, we were sat apart. Out. We were. So maybe yeah. this time we can sit sit together and sit watch together, it. together, yeah. You know, we are a blossoming friendship as well. <laughs> I see a lot of similarities in, in, in this film with us, maybe. the, lo- the lo- Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the last thing I'll say is when I read about this film before it was out and I thought, Black Musician, Deep South, this is Oscar bait. It, it just plays it too safe. I wanted it to be a bit more dangerous. Like I, it, People aren't aff- offended by this film. People aren't talking about this film as much as they did with Black Klansman. And I just think it it need, it need had an opportunity to to go that bit further. Um, you know, they were in the Deep South and we didn't actually see much of the Deep South's racism. We saw some. We saw some, but I, I would have gone further. I would have shown exactly what the Deep South was like in a, in the 60s. And more more importantly, what the Deep South is still like now. I, I feel the reason why the director chose to do it in this way was because you're almost viewing this that part of the film through um, Tony Lip's eyes. Mm. He is almost ob- oblivious to the way that people in the Deep South or the, uh, the Black... Uh, community um are, are treated mm. in that manner and he he's finally having the door opened a bit more and he's finally seeing how how it's going down and he's recognizing actually i can, i understand and i i i feel empathy i feel pathos for these people i f- i feel why does it have to be like this and mm. and you grow with tony lip's character and i i that's why i think or that's how i took it mm. um and that's 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 what I really enjoyed about that. I mean, the last thing I'll mention before one of us asks the other the question is the reason the film's actually called Green Book is because there was a green book. And what this book did is it was a guide for uh, African-Americans of where they could stay in the Deep South that was safe because a lot of places would mm. have signs, you know, saying no, no blacks on the door. You know, even even in the UK in the 60s, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. You know, this happened. And I, I just wanted the film to be a bit more ambitious. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you the question, David. Mm. Green Book, is it worth it? Yes. <laughs> no, look, it's it, it's a wonderful film. It's, it's brilliantly well acted. Um, it takes... Uh, a, a, a unique, true friendship. Um, I know there has been some reaction about just how true this is and some of the family members not 100% uh, pleased with how uh, certain characters have been portrayed in the film, yeah. but it's based on a true story and it's a film about humanity. It's a film about friendship and it's a film about getting to know someone and love someone for who they are and not 
their sexu- the sexu- sexuality, sexuality or skin colour. And the reason it's good is because it's a film about humanity in a world where humanity is becoming less and less, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and that's, again, why I think it's got a chance at the Oscars because it's, you know, the, the cliche in a world where walls are being built, this is a film that brings walls down, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. But, yeah, for me, definitely worth it. Um, really enjoyable film. Yeah. And f- literally for all of the above of what you just said, um, I couldn't have put it better myself, really. Uh, oh, thank yes, you. Yes, <laughs> go and see this film. Um, highly enjoyable. Um, and, and clearly we both loved it. Um, mm. Obviously, we, we have our critical heads on as well. Um, and we have to give our honest opinion on the film as you've done and I've done. Um, but, but yeah, still 100% worth going to see in the cinema. It, it, there is no other way to go and see it at the moment, obviously. Um, but when it does come out on streaming services, also worthy to watch on there I mean you could watch it anywhere couldn't you really Thank you very much for listening to week 27 of the Film Review Podcast, Is It Worth It? Now, before we let you know what's coming up over the next few weeks, we have some messages to read out. Yes, Craig, that's right. And we'll start off with Anne McCauley on Twitter, who writes, Really enjoyed Green Book. Funny, engaging, a feel-good drama loosely based on a true story. Uh, We've also got an email from Charlie, and she writes... So, basically went to watch Glass last week, not knowing anything more than the trailer. Thought it was pretty good, had some interesting and different elements to it. Although it was slightly too superhero, superpower focused, and the ending with the fighting and dramatic scene was a tad cliche, sorry for the spoiler if you read that out, then tonight I was looking for a film to watch and came across Split on Netflix. I watched the trailer and thought, hey... That's the same actor from Glass. After reading the description, I then realised it was based on the character Kevin in Glass. So, out of interest, I watched it. And wow, it all came together so perfectly. The massive gaps in Glass, Casey and Kevin's characters, that didn't make much sense when we watch Glass alone. Now you have such a, a, has a, such a much deeper uh, meaning. Muck that up. Sorry, Charlie. I may be ignorant for not realising this was some sort of sequel, but maybe others will go out to watch Glass, enjoy the film, but not get as much out of it unless they've seen Split as well. Anyway, really looking forward to your review on Glass. Hope all is well with both of you. Uh, Thank you, Charlie, for that. Yes, indeed. So Anne and Charlie, two free tickets, uh, which will be on their way to you very, very soon. And if you're listening to the show and you're thinking, I too would also like two free tickets, then what you can do is send us a message, uh, send us an email, tweet us uh, with a film review. You know, uh, what did you think of one of the latest films you'd seen in the cinema? Or I've been encouraging people to do this for a while. Send us an audio clip, you know, 20, 30 seconds uh, reviewing a film. Gaming Bear, this one's aimed at you. (laughs) Send us a growl. Um, I enjoy your uh, uh, review on uh, Twitter by the way just thought I'd say that um, yeah so send us a, a review and we will happily give you two free tickets um, they're valid for six months and they can be re- redeemed at uh, any type of screen including IMAX super screen and everything in between so how can you do that how can you contact us well our email address is my mail is worth it at is it worth it podcast.com our Twitter handle is at film is worth it and on Instagram we are is it worth it podcast and on Facebook just search is it worth it the film review podcast and if you're subscribed and you're already really enjoying the show then please do rate us on uh, Apple podcast iTunes uh, and all the other apps that you use that you can rate us on because it really does help mm. us grow the podcast and the community and if you can as well just 
tell your friends and family. It's all about word of mouth and uh, that will help us grow and give out lots and lots of free tickets to everybody who listens <laughs> to the show uh, because Cineworld really loves it when we give out free tickets. I they think. do. They do indeed. And like Craig said, you, the listener, is what makes the show uh, worthwhile doing. So if you are enjoying the show, please do tell as many people as you can. Uh, and on that note, what do we have coming up in the next couple of weeks? Well, it's an action-packed few weeks. Um, in the next couple of episodes, we've got reviews of Destroyer, Escape Room, A Dog's Way Home, uh, Clint Eastwood stars and directs in The Mule. Uh, we've also got Second Act, How to Train Your Dragon, uh, The Hidden World, The Lego Movie 2, uh, which I have to say I, th- I thought the trailer looked quite brilliant for, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, another um, major film in award season, and uh, Alita Battle Angel, brought to us by the sensational director of the best film of all time, Titanic, um, James Cameron. Mm, it's pretty action-packed, actually. Um, we're also going to try and bring some uh, more interviews with mm. notable characters within this whole world, this universe. Um, we don't know who they are yet. <laughs> it, but it's anyone, are, really. It's an, it, it is anyone. Yeah. So, you know, no, no, Craig, Craig's right. We're going we're gonna to try and bring more interviews with other, other podcasters, hopefully people within the film industry. It's something that we are working on, and our Chinese statistician is calculating many graphs and uh, manuals and guides. Um, and, yes, it's... Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, it is. It, it is. is a it is a very exciting time I know, to be alive. Um, I mean, you're currently in in the works of planning our uh, special bonus episode or our next bonus episode. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So please do ha- have a listen out for our bonus episode. It's going to be an award season special. It's going to be quite a heavy episode, quite dry. So maybe not for everyone. I'm not really plugging it here. No. But <laughs> what it what it is going to have is really detailed analysis of award season of all the films that have been nominated, all the films that have won, um, our predictions. Uh, for the uh, Academy Awards, which are only a few weeks away now, as well as... There's a drum roll. The Is It Worth It Film Awards, where we, uh, Craig and I, (laughs) will be handing out awards to actors and actresses and directors for our favourite films of the year. Uh, It's going to be a great episode, I will say that, with lots of stats and... uh, Boy, oh boy, I'm excited for the Oscars. Mm, I can't wait either. It's going to be great. We're going to watch it at midnight, aren't we? That's when it's out, isn't it? it well, for, for for the UK, it normally goes on between about midnight and five in the morning. So we're going to watch that live. Should we live stream it? Uh, well, I was I planned to watch it at my parents because they've got Sky Movies and they've also got a massive television with like super ultra HK, 4HD, ultra. How ridiculous are modern televisions now? It's like I came in for a television and I'm walking out with a satellite. It's just the technology on them is utterly ridiculous. Bemusing. Well, um, if we can watch that together and live stream it, I think that would be Yeah, we'll definitely watch it together. Um, also, yeah, a big thank you to Paul, who was on the show this week. Uh, do download and listen to The Past Podcast. It's a delightfully delicious podcast. Uh, like many of the chefs that he interviews, it's uh, well worth having listened to. Yeah, so thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you again in uh, week 27. Indeed. Well, this is week 27, isn't it? <laughs> it's week 28. Oh, can, 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 well, no, no, don't you dare cut. We're going to finish by saying it's taken us hours to get this out because Craig is so tired, even his phone was telling him to go to bed. Look, you've been in and out of this studio all day. I've been watching films for this podcast. You've watched the same film three times today. <laughs> it's a different story. We won't go into that. <laughs>